Does your financial advisor take the time to really listen to you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situation changes? When you work with Edward Jones, they focus on what's important to you. You'll work together and use an established process to create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And they'll partner with you to help your strategy stay on track. Visit edwardjones.com or stop by the office of Todd Nash in Coralville, Jeff Rudolph, or Scott McGill in Iowa City, or or Travis Whitmore in North Liberty. Edward Jones, Making Sense of Investing, member SIPC. By Dr. Lance Forbes, Diamond Dental in Cedar Rapids. Players, Sports Bar and Grill, downtown. Dirk Sterner, Taxidermy. The Oxyoke Inn in the Amanas, Premier Automotive in North Liberty. Hertine and Stocker Jewelers, 101 South Dubuque Street, downtown Iowa City. Big Dog Satellite, Internet, and Solar. Don't call an 800 number. Call Kevin and his crew at Big Dog, a premier dish authorized retailer, at 338-6600. Supel's Flowers, the home of 1-800-800-ROSE. GT Car and his crew at Supel's Siding and Remodeling. Mike's Lock and E-Keys for Cars. Steve Anderson, Hawkeye Title and Settlement. And Deary Brothers Ford Lincoln, Patrick Eads, and the staff on Mormon Trek. From hawkfanatic.com, it's Pat Hardy along with Tom Suter and Coach Don Patterson is on the line. Well, good morning, Coach. Good morning, Tom. How are you? I'm doing uh, pretty good. Pretty darn good. Had a real fun weekend in Indianapolis, except for the pesky football game. Yeah, amazingly enough, the sun did come up on Sunday, didn't it? It, it did, and for a while until we were just buried with a deluge uh, coming back for a, for about an hour. But, you know, that's that's could have been a snowstorm, so it was okay. You know, the more I think about it, I guess maybe it didn't come up on Sunday. It was pretty cloudy on Sunday morning. And <laughs> it, it was. I guess it that was, was only, only appropriate based on how Saturday night went. Well, now the sun's out, Don, and it's freezing out. So, I mean, <laughs> sun's not doing its job right now. But and it's windy. Well, Don, I mean, um, we can talk about the game for part of it, but we can also look ahead and talk big picture, what have you. The game itself, obviously, it didn't play out the way we thought. Um, I, I thought Brian came out aggressive early, and I thought they tried to go downfield. They just couldn't execute. Tom and I were discussing the halfback pass. I liked the call. I really did. My only question, and maybe you'll say different because it was in the red zone, I'd rather have them throwing to somebody else on a halfback pass than a lumbering 250-pound fullback. And, but maybe because they were in the red zone, that made it easier to disguise the fullback or what have you. But to me, that halfback pass kind of ex explains Iowa. When they do play, make an interesting call, an aggressive call, they can't execute it. And it just, I don't know. Um, just your thoughts on just how Brian came out and just the offense in general – Don, because right now there's a lot of angry. I it's my Twitter, my social media response. It's incredible right now the the angst from Iowa fans, and they they're ten and three, and they but they don't want to hear that. The moment I start going there, I'm a Hawkeye Homer Ferentz apologist, and so just your thoughts on that. Well, um, hard to know where to start. <laughs> uh, first off, I'll say this: 
and you going into the game from looking at all 12 games, here's a couple of amazing stats for you about Michigan and their 12 games this year. I should say 12 games prior to ours. Um, believe it or not, they scored the first touchdown in all 12 games. And the reason I paid a lot of emphasis to that, I thought it was critical that we move heaven and earth to score the first touchdown. Critical. And by that I mean I was honestly disappointed that we deferred because I wanted the first opportunity to score. And I also had it fresh in my mind that Illinois had scored on their first possession against us. After we had deferred, they started the game with the touchdown drive, as did Nebraska. So our last two games, maybe our worst possession of the game on defense was the opening possession. Mm -hmm. And it crossed my mind, if we let Michigan go first, they may very well score first. Well, they didn't score on the first possession to the credit of our defense, but neither did we. So when we turned the ball over to them for their second possession, they probably went 67 yards on one play. Mm Mm-hmm. And here we are down 7 nothing, just like all the other opponents. And my goal, of course, for us to score first was to give those Michigan players that sense that something doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel right because we're the first team out of 13 opponents to score the first touchdown. That's why it didn't feel right. Mm-hmm. That's why it wouldn't feel right if we could pull it off. Well, and then to build on that, halftime lead, Michigan again was 12 for 12. So I thought it was critical that we, whatever tricks we had up our sleeve, we should run them in the first half and and do everything we possibly could to have a first-half lead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because, again, that would be something new for Michigan, to be behind at halftime. Yeah. No. We obviously weren't able to do either one of those. And my disappointment was we gave them the first shot. And, and, and uh, of course, a, a defender of that logic would say, well, we didn't let them score on the first shot. No, but they had the first chance to score on the second possession. And they did, and for that matter, they scored on the third possession, too. So now we're down 14-3, mm-hmm. and we're playing from behind, and Michigan runs the ball well, and they're going to shorten the game, and, you know, it's a tough it's a tough assignment. To the credit of our defense, we held in there, and yeah. it was still only 14-3 at the half. But you might also recall uh, the first possession of the second half. I'm thinking we're down 11. For God's sakes, you know, let's – Use a, let's throw the kitchen sink at him on that first possession of the second half. Three and out. Yeah. And we did throw the ball, but nothing nothing very tricky of any of any shape at all. Once. And then of course on their first possession second half, they methodically drove down the field with probably their best drive of the day and scored again to make twenty one three. And um and now we're in real trouble. Um you do recall, of course, we did have um, a red zone possession with an opportunity to go up, go up 21 to six. This one's a tough call. Uh, we'd already missed a field goal, and of course, in the first red zone appearance. And now we got, I believe it was fourth and four, as I recall. And we can go for it, or we can kick a field goal. And um, my thought at the time, honestly, was <clears throat> I'm not going to be happy with 21 six, but at least. A field goal makes it a two-score game again. Mm-hmm. And as you know, there's a big difference in being down by 18 and down by 15. Down by 15, two scores can get you back in the game. By then, we are late in the third quarter. we got maybe 16 minutes left to play. And um, But at least a field goal 
gives us one of those three scores we need to get back in the game. Mm-hmm. And that was a 15-point spread. And now at least we still have a chance because we're definitely going to get another couple of possessions mm-hmm. in that fourth quarter. Um, I, I don't have any issues with going for it either. You know, we failed, of course. I shouldn't say of course. <laughs> but it's hard to convert on fourth and four. Mm-hmm. Um, and I might be off by a yard, but I think that's right, fourth and four. Hey, that sounds right. Yeah. And um, when we don't convert, that, that effectively kind of seals the deal, I think. Because um, then 21-3 turned into 28-3, and, and then 35-3, and then 42-3. So, um, you know, we just didn't get it done. Defensively, this is so unusual for us. There were six plays that totaled 258 yards. Uh, that only leaves 203 for all their other snaps. So, for once, we gave up chunk plays. And I, I might add this, because you know how I feel about exotics. Two of those chunk plays were trick plays. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if Michigan thinks they need trick plays against us, I'm pretty sure we need trick plays against them. Yes, we ran one. We failed to convert. But you've heard me say before, I'd like to think we can come up with three or four. Mm-hmm. Uh, not necessarily trick plays in that, in that it's pitch back to quarterback or it's halfback pass or it's double pass. Uh, but maybe just unusual schemes that are designed to be big plays. Yeah, mm-hmm. it shouldn't be hard to come up with half a dozen of those. Don, I got a and question. You may need them all. Don, um, I got a question for you. You've dealt with injured quarterbacks for a long time. What I'm confused about is Spencer was hurt against Northwestern, but he starts right. the game. He starts the game, but he's in, he's injured enough to where they take him out before the first quarter's over. Saturday, he's apparently was injured his torso. In the first half, Kirk said it wasn't on the vicious hit that I thought was targeting. It wasn't on that, but it was on a different play. He's injured, but they give him the first series in the third quarter, and obviously he didn't look good. He had Keegan Johnson wide open and threw behind him because it looked like he couldn't get any. Why did, he, why did they use him in those two instances? What's, what, what's your explanation? Well, I'm sure the medical people said he was okay to go. And, and maybe, you know, maybe Spencer has – Something to do with that, you know. Maybe he persuaded him that he's okay to go. After all, you know, they don't know exactly how a player feels. They have to rely on his his self-report of how he's feeling at that moment. Um, you know, and we all understand that. You know, Spencer wants to do everything he can to help sure. the team, but of course, the bottom line, as you say, you got to be honest with us. If you're not healthy, then you got to tell us. Yeah, and it just looked at Northwestern. He didn't have any zip on the ball in warm-ups. I don't know. It's just kind of it's just kind of a weird dynamic. But no, as far as the halfback pass, I liked it. I liked how they came I out. The too. tight ends, the tight ends were wide open, and they they used that. But then Michigan made adjustments. the The problem was they just couldn't run the ball again. Then they couldn't pass protect, and it was it's kind of the same old script over and over against good opponents. And I don't know. P, the the reaction from fans is we got to make wholesale changes on offense, which is not going to happen if you just look at it realistically. But Don, what is I mean, against elite opponents, the offense just can't hardly do anything. I mean, am I being too harsh? I mean, I watched the games this year, I covered them, and Purdue. I don't even call it elite. Wisconsin and Michigan to me are probably the best opponents they played defensive wise, and the offense could not do a thing. So, what do you say to fans who are who are yeah great that we went ten and three, but man, our offense sucks, and we got to do something about this. What would you? What do you say to them to maybe kind of calm them down a little bit? Because there's a lot of them out there. 
Well, there's a lot of fault that can be spread around to a lot of people. Uh, honestly, let me see if I can do something with my throat here for a second. Okay. But yeah, it was... maybe that'll help. That's a drink of milk that helps a little bit. Okay. Okay. If you if you need to you take a break, let us know. I must have done a little bit of yelling on Saturday night. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's true, I did. Um, but anyway, um, one thing that comes to mind for me, you've heard me say before, uh, um, unusual times, unusual situations requires unusual action. By that I mean, a prime example would be Michigan's play calling. Michigan did not run a lot of exotics in the course of the season, but they sure as hell did against us. Uh, and more than just a couple. Let's not forget they ran a couple of reverses for yardage. They ran a pitch to quarterback effectively. They ran a double pass with the, with the third string running back throwing the ball down the field. Um, all those plays had, well, those are four of the chunk plays right there, those four plays I just mentioned. So um, that wasn't the first the case in the first touchdown. That was out of character for us. <clears throat> it was a good run. Uh, it wasn't designed to go 67 yards. Uh, our linebackers, for once, and they played so well all year. Benson and Campbell have played so well. But on that particular play, they did a poor job of finding the football. Um, Benson kind of got hung right in behind his down lineman um, that was being double teamed. Um, uh, Campbell scraped over the top of the play. Uh, he was on the backside of the run. Uh, but he actually went uh, wider than the ball hit. So the ball hit back inside of him. Both linebackers were not in position to make a play. Uh, here's where things unravel further. The cornerback's job is to be sure that he that he tackles, that he approaches the ball carrier with outside leverage. He did not do that. Uh, Harris no. is a young player. Uh, he managed to lose that outside leverage. Now the ball breaks. And it was a great move. Of him. And now that means the ball is going to be down the sideline. And now that requires the other players on the field in pursuit. They have to run all the way to the sideline to be able to make a play. And, of course, we didn't get it done. Uh, and Corum is, of course, uh, way above average back in terms of speed and quickness. So that's how that turned into a 67-yard play. And then what followed, think about this, on successive snaps, they picked up 142 yards. So uh, the very next play was the double pass. The next play for them, I should say. So, uh, you know, that was a one-two punch that really knocked us a little bit, a little bit wacky. You know, we didn't, we did recover. Our defense recovered like you would expect they would do. You know, we played a really good um, second quarter. But in the first quarter, the damage was done. We were down, down 14 and, and uh, I'm sorry, down 11, 14 to three. And, um, and, and um, of course, they were teeing off on them on us if we were in obvious pass situations. Uh, just talking about our passing game, though, our problems are bigger than just pass protection. Obviously, our, our right tackle in particular struggled a lot against number 97. He's a great player. Mm -hmm. uh, so Plum struggled. No no debate with that. I thought we could have done a better job of helping him from time to time. We talked about chip helping off. him with the tight end or helping him with uh, a back that's in position to chip. And I don't know that we fully understand how to chip yet. Uh, but anyway, that's that's uh, another story. Uh, the bottom line is he beat us and he pressured us even when he didn't register sex. He still gave us a lot to worry about. But part of the problem, too, is we got to have receivers that can separate 
from manned up defenders. I'm talking about pressed corners that are up on us. So they did a nice job of taking away all kinds of routine throws. We didn't have routine out routes or stop routes to com- to complete. We had people up in our face, and our our only resort at that point was to try to convert to fade routes. And we haven't hit one of those yet. We did we did draw a, a pass interference early in the game, which was good. But the bottom line, you got to give your guy a chance to come down with the ball. If he's if he's covered, you'd like to think you're throwing it to a guy that would be what you call a good 50-50 receiver. I think our best 50-50 receiver is Charlie Jones right now. Um, the freshmen are young. They're not very tall. Um, you know, it's not easy for them to separate from a, a corner because they simply haven't done it that much yet in college football against quality corners. So our percentages were, were off there. But you've heard me talk before about man beaters. We need more man beaters because we, we couldn't scare them out of man-free tight. You know, I'm talking about tight coverage on yeah. the outside receivers. Yeah. A free safety play in center field, and then outnumbering you near the football. That's what Michigan did. Did a good job of it, and they we couldn't scare them out of it. So you've heard me tell the story about University of Miami saying, "No, we're not going to play man free against you guys anymore. You got too many man beaters. We're not going to do it. We'd be foolish to do it." Well, we've got to discourage teams from doing it to us, and Michigan did it to us all night long. So you know, there's there's a, a responsibility there to develop a better package of plays that can defeat man-free coverage. I'm talking about press coverage, tight coverage. Um, we didn't show them. We don't have them, I guess. But it's something that's got to be accomplished in the out of season. you got to develop a better package to defeat that because you can't allow people to do it to you. And I sound like I'm preaching a little bit, but it's just the truth. I'm sure. passionate about Iowa football. I'm just talking about things we need to get done between this year and next year. But I'm not sure, Don, that even if we do get the separation that you're talking about, that the quarterbacks we have complete the play. Well, you've heard me say before, I think one of the best things that I can remember Spencer doing over the first half of the season, one of the best things he did was to throw the ball deep downfield with pretty darn good accuracy. You know, you can think back to a lot of deep passes we hit. Uh, I can't think of very many that he overthrew. He had a nice throw to Jones. If he did overthrow yes, he did. him, as, it, as was the case on Saturday night, it was because they had tight coverage on us, and he didn't feel very comfortable giving both players a chance at the ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we do need to be better on 50-50 passes. We do need to be better on our releases. <clears throat> against, press, against press coverage, the solution is not to try to run away from that corner. By that I mean... Uh, have what I call a rim release, where, you, where you're gaining a lot of width on your release um, because you're simply having to run too far to get on top of him. What you got to do, you got to, as quickly as you possibly can, you got to get your helmet and shoulder pads further downfield in the corner. You got to establish verticality so that then we do have a chance to throw a fade route and you can actually fade away from that corner. But you got to make that corner run vertically and you got to try to get a yard or two on top of him. Uh, and you don't do it by running a wide release path down the field. I'm not being, I'm not trying to be critical of the freshmen. They're young players, but they have to be taught how to run fade routes, and that's not the way to run them. You don't run away from a corner. You gotta, you gotta establish verticality. You gotta be physical on your release. You gotta try to club him out of your way. That's not a foul. That's football. And when I say club, I'm talking about taking that outside arm and violently throwing it into his, into his shoulder. Um, you know, you got to be prepared 
to be physical coming off the ball because you're not just going to outrun him uh, by by taking a a nice free and easy release. You know what I mean by a, yeah. a width release, a rim release. Yeah, you're running too. You're not running vertical enough. You're running too much toward the boundary. Okay, does and that I, make sense? Yeah, yes, no, it, it does. does. And Don, what you say about man um, man beaters, I, I what's kind of confusing to me is, and this is no knock on some. Some of Iowa, like in the 1985 team, Bill Happel was always seemed open. Mm-hmm. Bill Happel's not as athletic as Keegan Johnson and Arlen Bruce and and Tyrone Tracy, but he was always open. Devin Harberts right. was always open. There's I a mean, difference, you know, Billy Happel that you remember, Scott Helverson on that same. Those team. guys weren't as athletic uh, as these guys playing you now. Remember very well, like Dave Moritz. Yeah. And uh, and uh, John Falloon. Jim Morrow. Those they, guys were not good route runners. They were exceptional route runners. Because they had now, to be. they did not have great speed, but no. they understood how to run routes. Uh, and it takes a little bit of time to learn that. And our freshmen, I don't doubt, are going to be good students going forward. Uh, because it's a painful lesson to learn. You, you know, you can't just show up. And unless you know what you're doing, you're not going to beat good defenders. And obviously, we've got inexperience at receiver. And um, those guys didn't do a great job of of winning on their part. So there's there's a responsibility to become better pass protectors. There's a responsibility of the quarterback to make better choices too. Let's talk about that. Mm-hmm. Something for Spencer to work on. Pre-snap reads. You've heard me talk about it before. Mm-hmm. You need to have some idea before the ball snaps of of what the best matchup is. That's the one you should favor. And, and to snap the ball without having an idea where you're going with the ball is a mistake. You got And to be honest with you, it appears to me that sometimes he has no idea where he's going with the ball before the ball snaps. Mm-hmm. And so uh, maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong, but that's just the perception I have. Sure. Is I'll say it this way: a lot of the time when we throw the ball versus these these man defenses, just realize this: they have to defend across the board with man coverage. So it would behoove us to pick the guy that's got the best opportunity. Uh, matchups. It's all about matchups, and for that matter, you you finagle your formation so that you you engineer a good matchup. You know, you're you're purposely uh, moving your players around so that you can match up the receiver you think has the best chance to beat one of their weaker defenders. That's just smart football. So we can do a better job in that regard. But uh, I would challenge Spencer and Alex. You know, try to learn as much as you can. By studying the the defense before the ball snapped, don't snap the ball with with no idea where you're going to go with the ball. Maybe they always have an idea, but it doesn't appear so. The reason I say that is because we don't always make the best choice with where we send the ball. If you go back and look at the TV tape, you'll see times when a receiver's covered, we forced it to him, and there was another receiver that was open. Tyrone only Tracy, one, mm-hmm. but there was one out there that was open. Mm-hmm. And you just got to find that right matchup and take advantage of it. Coach, isn't it a fine line, though, between, you say, knowing where you want to go with the ball and then locking in on one guy because that's what looked like to you before you run the play. That looked like the most advantageous, but it turns out that maybe it wasn't. Well, let's put it this way. If you guess right, if you guess right more than half the time, you've already improved your odds. Yeah. So – and. Uh, and believe me, sometimes it's pretty obvious where the best matchup is. Mm-hmm. And I say that because you know the you know the strengths and weaknesses of their man defenders. You also know the strengths and weaknesses of your receivers. And sometimes it's as simple as an alignment. Maybe it's an off coverage versus an inside receiver versus a press coverage on the outside receiver. 
Uh, and part of it gets into game planning again, because you can. You've heard me say before, how can you how can you effectively block two players? Well, let's say you can you can as a receiver you can crack inside on another guy that's manned up on another receiver, and obviously if the guy's manned up on you, he's got to run with you. So you're running him inside because your path is inside, and you're blocking a guy. You're actually physically blocking him. You're actually trying to hit him with force even, but most important, you're just getting in his way. But in an ideal world, you're actually going to hit him with force, and he's the guy that's manned up on someone else that's catching the ball behind the line of scrimmage, what we call crack swings. Those are good plays. We didn't do enough of that. Um, you know, that's frankly, that's what they did with number seven a lot. They'd flare him out of the backfield, throwing the ball, and they'd be blocking downfield because he's catching it behind the line. And he's without question their best receiver coming out of the backfield. He was a third-team receiver. I think I said before the show, before the game, rather, if he's in the game, you can expect him to throw a swing route to him. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what he does. He caught 10 balls against my, against Maryland. Mm -hmm. I bet almost all of them were behind the line. So, so um, uh, to answer your question, Tom, uh, it's not easy to always be right, but if you're right more than half the time, you've improved your chances. Mm -hmm. but because, let's face it, to pick the wrong guy is, um, is a problem. I'll give you a simple example. We had a slant route that we threw. Well, uh, the corner had close coverage, and there was an inside defender that sandwiched our receiver as soon as the ball got there. You probably remember the play. It was yeah. a really tight window. Uh, there was contact immediately after the snap, maybe a split second before, because we all know that corners sometimes get, get by with early contact, uh, especially if it's through the backside of a receiver. Sometimes the officials will let that go. Um, because it has minimal effect on the on the receiver's ability to catch the ball. But let's face it, if you have that and you have another defender coming in our face, uh, that same receiver, that's a that's a real problem, and we ran into that. On that same play, Regani was open on an over route because he had off coverage, and he had good separation from his defender, but the ball simply didn't go to the best choice. Uh, and, I, again, you know, I used to coach quarterbacks, so I know this is not easy to always guess right. Uh, but if you do it, if you improve your chances by studying before the ball is snapped, obviously if, you're, if your percentage of picking the right receiver goes from 50% to 70%, that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. Because, let's face it, those completions are going to discourage them from playing man coverage. Uh, and also move the chains, maybe move the chains in a, in a big way because mm -hmm. we know this from firsthand experience. If that one-man defender fails to make that tackle, then the race is on because those other defenders aren't even aware necessarily of where the ball is because mm -hmm. they don't have eyes on the ball. They have eyes on their man. So those are just things to think about that can help us and give us more explosive plays. But the bottom line, we have to be able to discourage people from playing in a way that makes it difficult for us to execute our offense. So Don, and Manfred Tide is a prime example of that. So, Don, what concerns you more right now with offense, the lack of a running game against really good opponents or quarterback play? Oh, boy. Um, probably quarterback play, to be honest with you. Um, and, again, quarterback play is not all on the quarterbacks. It ties into pass protection. Sure, it sure ties it into receiver's ability to separate from the defender. Uh, it ties into our ability just to simply make every catch that we can touch. You know, we've, we've, 
uh, if you drop any footballs at all, of course, we have to think it's too many. So your goal is to be 100% on all, on all opportunities to catch a ball. Um, and then beyond that, of course, you've got to try to avoid those obvious passing situations by being more efficient on early downs. Um, ideally, of course, that applies especially to your running game. That's hard to do, but this might surprise you a little bit. We had 30 rushes between our top two running backs. That was for 111 yards. That's 3.7 per attempt. That's not too bad. Uh, you know, you'd like for it to be four point something for sure. But again, Michigan's a good defense. So there were a lot of teams, I'm sure, that didn't average 3.7 in a game versus Michigan this year with their running backs. Um, so, um, you know, it wasn't as if we were just getting stoned at the line of scrimmage. We were making two and three and four yards at times. Uh, which it at least gave us, if we tried to run the ball on first and second down, on average it gave us third and medium or maybe even third and short. Um, but then, of course, you got to still convert on critical downs. We've been poor all season on critical downs. We were poor again. We were five for 20. Um, you know, 25 percent is not good enough. Uh, we lost critical downs, I would guess, just off the top of my head. In 13 games, we probably lost on critical downs. Uh, more than half the time. We lost it at least six, seven times, I think, on critical downs. And that's even after our defense is pretty darn good in defending on critical downs. Mm -hmm. So that's something to work on. we got to be better on critical downs. And, of course, the key there is to try to avoid third and long. Here's a, here's a sobering stat that they mentioned during the game. Our average third down at the end of the first half was third down and 11. I know. That's mm -hmm. a problem for anyone. Part of it. Yeah, it's part of the reason they were five of nineteen on yeah. third down conversions. I mean, it just, yeah, it, it just wasn't happening. And another question I got for you, Don, is it seems like when Spencer's in there, they never, hardly ever throw running back screens. It seems like when Alex is in there, they do, and they work initially, and then they stop doing it. Were you, I was surprised that were you surprised they didn't try any screen passes against that pressure? I was surprised. We our first screen came in the middle of the third quarter, and it worked. You're right. It was I think Alex's. Uh, first or second pass attempt. It was early. It was third down and seven or eight, and we gained 15. Yeah. Uh, Well-executed play. And um, and you you do recall me mentioning before the game that Michigan had been shown some vulnerability to screen passes. Um, screen passes are a little trickier to run versus man coverage. Um, you know, they're they're ideal versus zone coverage. Uh, man coverage, of course. You better understand who's manned up on the running back because you better get him blocked in a hurry because he's gonna he's gonna mirror the path of the back basically. So if if he's manned up on him and he's not very far away, typically it's a linebacker, of course. You got your linemen have to at least be alert. It's it's man coverage, so you better be ready to come off on this linebacker in a hurry because he's not gonna be in a zone drop and reacting forward. He's gonna be uh, getting to that running back quicker. And that's where that's where uh, subscreens come into play or, or crack swings come into play. You know, again, there's ways to protect that back on screen passes. As long as you understand that there's a linebacker that's manned up on him, you just got to be able to get on him before he gets on the back. So, Donnie, what do you say to the, uh, I guess I'll use the word critics, that say that Brian Ferentz is the problem with the offense and we need to make a change there? Well, you know, we have we have um, more than one issue 
uh, on offense I in agree. terms of for sure. I agree. In terms of play selection, you know, so it's it's not a simple solution. Uh, I used to say it this way to our players: uh, I appreciate that you guys think we're always going to make uh, great great calls because that's part of the game. Of course, it's good play calling, but the reality is that uh, that there are no perfect plays. All plays require execution. We're going to call the best plays we can, but don't think that it's just going to be automatic that the great call is going to be a great result because you still have to execute the play. Well, the prime example would be the halfback prime pass. example would be the halfback pass. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That thought was it was a great call. call. Yeah, yes, great it was. Call. First down on the 17-yard line, uh, we clearly fooled them. The only negative I can think about that particular schematic for the halfback pass, Potty Bomb in his defense, it's a it's a tough throwing angle. Yeah. You got to figure out. Is it going to be over his inside shoulder, over his outside shoulder? <clears throat> Obviously, a ball that's thrown directly over his head is more difficult to judge. And Charlie Jones can do it because he's done a lot of that over the course of his playing days. But poor Potterbaum hadn't done it much. He, he, he hadn't had to catch a lot of balls that are coming in directly over his head. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what he was faced with. So the angles are difficult, you know, of, um, of bringing him out of the backfield. And you, you just got to work those little details out. Is he going to look over his inside or outside shoulder? I need to know that as a as a, a halfback passer. And Gavin threw the ball, of course, and I'm sure it was practiced a lot. And we just didn't quite connect on it. It was a, a, a good idea, but we just need to be sure that both parties know I'm going to be coming out. I'm going to be I'm going to be stalking for a split second before I release, and I'm going to be looking over my inside shoulder, over my outside shoulder. And the message is obvious. Please throw it over one or the other. Don't throw it right over my head because mm-hmm. that automatically makes it a very difficult catch. And I think one thing that gets lost in all of this, and I, I, I'm with you, I think Brian Ferentz, they have to get better on offense. But this is not Brian Ferentz's offense. This is his father's offense. And Brian Ferentz is trying, I think, to make the best calls he can within the framework of that offense. There was a play in the second quarter where Brian wanted to go for it on fourth down. You could tell he and his dad were – we're going back and forth on that, and Kirk just overruled him and said no. I, I mean, they've had three different coordinators here. Kirk's been extremely loyal to all three, Ken, Greg Davis, and now his son. That's not going to change. That's no different. So really what's going on now is no different other than the fact that it's his son. But this is the Iowa offense. But it doesn't work. But it's been going on for 23 years, I, and it's worked enough for them to be a pretty good team, it hasn't worked enough for them to be elite. But what we're seeing now is no different than what's been going on for years. The difference is that it's his son, and I've got fans you know, pointing that out. But the offense is no different than what it's been. It's been the same thing. I mean, Don, I mean, this is Kirk's offense. People just think that if they go out and get Joe Brady to come here, that all of a sudden Iowa's going to be spread five. and It's just they just don't get it. Well, you've heard me say before, um, you know, what makes a good offense? Uh, I think for starters, you you need to have a lot of different plays to draw from. Mm-hmm. And to be honest with you, I think we could use more. I agree. You've heard me say before, and I know that listeners might get tired of hearing it, but it's the truth. Uh, trick plays, if you go back and look at 20 years of our football in the 80s and 90s, those trick plays helped us a lot. Uh, we called them a lot. We had them for every game. We might not call any at all in one game, but typically we did. Typically we'd call one or maybe two. And I remember what Jim Walden once famously said, we know they're going to run a trick play sometime in the first half. 
We just don't know when. And to be honest with you, it seems like it's going to work whether we know it's coming or not. Uh, you know, that was Jim Walden talking about Iowa football. So I think uh, – and Michigan's a prime example. Michigan didn't think they were going to show up and beat us without some trick plays. So it's okay to have trick plays. Matter of fact, I recommend it. More than one. I'd recommend having several available. You don't have to call them all. And for that matter, if, it, if it's a play that's designed for zone defense and you got man defense, just get out of the play. We'll turn around and call it again a few minutes later. We'll get it in. You've heard me say before, we usually guess right the first time. Very seldom do I ever remember us having to get out of the play and call it a second time because we're, we're smart about when we call them. You know, we have an idea of when they're going to have the right kind of defense for us to run that particular play against. So one thing we can do is, is um, make people more tentative by, by making trick plays a bigger part of our offense. I say a bigger part. You know, you and I both know we might go two or three games without a trick play. And trick plays alone don't solve it, but I think anyone will grudgingly admit if trick plays work half the time, that's a good thing. Well, in Michigan's case, they work more than half the time. Uh, think about it. The double pass for 75 yards, uh, two reverses, both of which worked, a pitchback to quarterback, which also worked. You know, trick plays have a good chance to work because yep. you've got the element of surprise. And kind of what I was uh, I, I'll give you a specific example. Greg Davis years ago, and I didn't know Greg very well, but I was talking to Greg one day about trick plays, and he made a comment. Uh, he said, you know, the only problem with trick plays, they require too much practice time and i was respectful of greg because he coached as long as i had i didn't argue with him but i'll tell you exactly what i was thinking no they don't if you think they require a lot of practice time you're wrong because they don't require great execution they just require good execution if you're going to run outside zone you better have great execution because everybody we're going to play is going to spend a lot of time defeating our outside zone so great execution still wins but you better have it uh, to be able to execute a play that mm-hmm. everybody knows you're going to run. Sure. But the beauty of trick plays, of course, is that element of surprise. Yep. And what I'm so that's one thing that can spice up the offense. And in addition, of course, it makes the defense a little more tentative because they're thinking about what what those trick plays might be going forward. And I referenced Iowa State and Jim Walden. You know, Iowa State's thinking we got to be careful here because we know there's a trick play coming. We just don't know when. And it seemed like it always worked anyway, as Walden himself said one time. So that comes to mind. Here's something else that comes to mind. You've heard me talk about game planning and, and, and playing the game of what if. What if we do this? Let's look at these let's look at all these snaps. Let's look at all the cutouts of all the formations. And this takes time. You know, and you're talking about uh, there being limited hours in the day, but that's why you've heard me say you don't get a hell of a lot of sleep if you're a play caller or if you're a game planner. Because you got to study a lot of film, and you got to find what what formations does Michigan defend where they're a little bit compromised, they're a little bit vulnerable here to a big play. You know, let's let's do something that they haven't seen us do. Let's do something that nobody has done against them yet. Even though we can see on video, it might be something as simple as here's a running play out of a certain formation, but play the game of what if. What if it's just a good hard fake? And it's a play-action pass off that same run look. You can mm-hmm. see on the video how the defense reacts. So you've got a good idea, even though nobody's done it to them, you have a good idea, a really good hard fake here on this particular play-action. It's got a great chance for a big play. 
And let's what, run it. Let's practice it. Let's be good at it. And let's run it. And what? And let's take some shots. Um, you know, it's hard to it's hard to hit big plays without trying to hit big plays. Yep. They don't just happen. Uh, Michigan's a good example. That running back ran 67 yards because, for uh, a rare case, we had poor execution on offense, on defense, on that play. And Don, what I'm referring that was one play that was not designed to go 67 yards. But the double pass was designed to go 75, wasn't it? That's for sure. And, Don, what I'm referring to, too, is I think the absence of trick plays has more to do with Kirk than Brian. Or maybe I'm wrong. I mean, and I'm not saying that critically. I'm just saying that's what I think the reality is that some fans. I find that hard to believe, Pat. You really? I'll tell you why. Because Brian is Kirk's son. uh, But something that Brian wants and wants – to have as part of that offense, I know Brian well enough to know he's going to say, uh, Dad, we need to do this. And if he feels passionately strong about it, Kirk's going to say, okay, okay, I understand where you're coming from. Now let's show me on video that it's going to work. I want to have some confidence that it's going to work. And obviously if you're thinking about it as a, a potential home run play, you should be able to back it up with proof. I'll give you a prime example. One time Coach Fry came in a meeting on – Friday afternoon, I'm scripting for the walkthrough that day. We're getting ready to play Indiana. And Coach Fry said, anything I can do to help you? And I said, no, Coach, I'm almost done with the scripting. Uh, He said, do you have any regrets for the game? And I said, yeah, I do. There's one play that we don't have in, and I'm I'm really mad at myself for not giving it the practice time that it needs so that we could run it tomorrow. And he said, well, can you show me on the board? And I drew it up on the board. And he he said, well, can't we walk through it this afternoon? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, let's walk through it. And if you guys are convinced that everybody knows what to do, we may run it anyway. The next day it was good for 55 yards, and we never practiced at full speed. Now, that may be hard for people to believe, but that's the truth. Uh, So my point is they don't require a lot of practice time. In that case, we never practiced at full speed, but we still went out and executed it because every player understood what to do. We simply walked through it on Friday afternoon. The next day we ran it and it hit. Okay, so um, I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend that, but but it just gives you an idea. Coach Fry said, "Well, if we feel good about it, we may call it anyway." Okay, uh, and and we did. So, ba- so I guess all I'm all I'm saying, uh, I know Brian well enough to know, and I know he's got a good relationship with Kirk. You know, those guys can talk honestly and openly with each other, and if Brian feels strongly about a play. Then I don't doubt for a second that he's gonna he's gonna say, Dad, we need to do this. Okay. This is a good play and I know we haven't run it in the game yet, but we're gonna practice it and we're gonna execute it and it's gonna hit. So the absence um, of trick plays throughout Kirk's reign has more to do with the three offensive coordinators he's had. Just by coincidence, he's had three coordinators who apparently don't believe in trick plays because they rarely did them. That says more about the coordinators than Kirk, I'm asking. That's kind of what you're saying? Uh, maybe I know in Greg's case, Greg Greg didn't really believe in him. <laughs> no, uh, and I didn't argue with him. But I'm simply thinking they do not require great execution. They just simply require good execution. You don't have to practice those plays night and day. Mm-hmm. And here's the truth: players like trick plays too. I'm sure they do because it's fun to it's fun to outsmart the opposition. Yep. You know that's part of the game. It's it's uh, it's demoralizing if you're playing defense sure. to see the ball go over your head simply because you got fooled. Let's talk about that halfback pass. It was clearly a backwards pass to the running back. Uh, Michigan was smart again. They went after a corner that didn't have great experience 
Now, maybe, you know, maybe uh, Riley would have gotten fooled on the play, too. I don't know. But they went after Harris. Which is smart. Uh, and the truth of it is the receiver didn't even do a great job of selling it. If you go back and look at that video, the ball's yeah. clearly thrown backwards. But it's not easy for the corner to tell that the ball's thrown backwards. Mm-hmm. But what an experienced corner would recognize, this receiver that's supposed to be blocking me, he seemed, and, and if you go look at the video, he was kind of creeping off the ball a little bit. Yeah, you're he right. didn't sell it very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, he, when the ball was thrown outside, he, he put on a burst and he got on top of Harris. But it was really more, it wasn't great execution on the part of the receiver that was stalking and going. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was a poor reaction on the part of a corner that's not very experienced. So they went after the, the right guy uh, and he got fooled. Uh, but truthfully, as he gains experience, he'll recognize, I always refer to it as smelling a rat. You know, if the ball's thrown out to number seven on another one of these swing routes, mm-hmm. uh, and he's not really aggressively trying to engage me, then I smell a rat. That does not look like um, a run block on his part. It looks to me like he might be trying to fool me. Okay. Uh, so, you know, an experienced corner would recognize that. I, I suspect that Riley would have been less likely to get beaten on that same action on the part of that wide receiver on that stalk and go. Okay, I've got another question for another. There was a third and twenty in the second quarter, fourteen to three. They ran Goodson. Yeah. They ran Goodson, and he gained seven yards partly because Michigan was so, I think, convinced that Iowa would at least try to get the first down. It was almost like they were saying, "We got terrible field position. Let's just flip the field and hope we can do something from there." My question is, and maybe there's a simple answer for this: Why don't you at least try for a first down on third and twenty when the game's still on the line? And is it because you're deep in your own territory and you're just afraid something bad's going to happen? Do you remember the play I'm calling about? It was third and twenty, and they ran Goodson off left tackle, and he gained like seven yards, and then they punted. I mean, what's your? I mean, how yeah. do you explain that? I thought it was ridiculous. Well, you know, we picked up seven yards of field position, um, and and of course we've we've beaten a lot of people by simply uh, not making as many mistakes as the opponent does. Uh, obviously, if you turn the ball over there, third and twenty, uh, the chances if you're just running uh, any kind of garden variety pass play, the chances that something bad happening are are greater because you might get you might get sacked, or worse yet, you might get strip sacked. You know, maybe the ball comes out. That's terrible. Uh, obviously, you, you got a lot of people, if they're playing zone defense, you got a lot of people dropping. You got a lot of eyes on the ball. There's always a chance, of course, that an underneath defender gets gets a hand on the ball and tips the ball in the air. And, of course, that's going to be intercepted. That's what we do to people all the time because mm-hmm. we got a lot of eyes on the, on the football. Um, and also, if you're just running a vanilla run play, which maybe you could call that particular play, well, you still got difficulty in maintaining blocks long enough to gain any kind of significant yardage. Seven-yard gain on first down sounds good, but not on third and 20. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, The better call, getting back to screen passes again, the beauty of screen passes, of course, now you're having – got an aggressive pass rush on third and 20. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, uh, obviously they're going to take themselves out of the play by rushing hard at the quarterback when we dump the ball over their heads. Now we have linemen that have a chance to – to block somebody other than the guy that they were blocking in sure. Bass Pro for a split second. Yep. You got them downfield. So now you got blockers that really can account for pretty much all the tacklers, right? Sure. I'm talking yeah. about tacklers that are at least uh, in the area. In the area, yeah. You yeah. know, meaning obviously the backside corner is a different story. He's not an immediate threat to the screen receiver anyway. But you do have linemen that are now coming off downfield 
to engage linebackers and safeties. So you, you have a better chance of making a screen pass go for 20 than you do uh, just a garden variety running play. So why call you know, the play? You got the extra blockers that are beyond the line of scrimmage. So Those why call the play? <laughs> why call the play, Coach? How, o- how often do you make a garden variety running play on third and 20 successful? How often does that work? And the answer is almost uh, never. Unless you're a team like Michigan or Wisconsin, never, maybe? Yeah. Not very often. Yeah. It's hard. Uh, you know, if you're playing the field position game and you're not playing from behind, of course, it's not such a bad thing. Right. Uh, but, but, you know, when you play a team like Michigan, you're not going to get that many possessions, you know, if you're lucky. I don't know how many we had, but a lot of times these kind of games – um, turn into only maybe 10 possessions in a game. So, you know, like you're saying, um, everyone's valuable, and you try to make them all count. And if you're just surrendering on that particular possession, mm-hmm. that's the then, um, yes. you know, you better have an idea. We're going to try to force the issue on defense. You know, and by that I mean maybe we're going to have to try to pressure more so that we can get our own strip sack or, or, um, or maybe uh, in the case of a ball carrier, you know, let's remind our guys again, first guy in secure the tackle, but the second and third guys to the ball, you got to try to get the ball out. Mm-hmm. You know, one thing we haven't done very well this year is force fumbles. We've done a great job with interceptions, but we haven't really forced very many fumbles. You guys have all seen particular players. I think back to the, the Illinois linebacker, I think maybe finished his eligibility now, but he was a really good player, specific player that forced fumbles. He had maybe six seven forced fumbles in an entire season that's more than some teams have one player because he you know it was in his mentality i'm going to try to get the ball out at every opportunity and again if he's the first guy to the ball he's got to make the tackle the focus has to be on just securing the tackle but if you're the next guy to the ball for god's sakes let's try to get it out let's try to rake it out hey before we i mean i can't believe we've almost killed an hour we could go on forever but let's talk a little bit about the matchup with kentucky i mean obviously the storyline Mark Stoops, the head coach, I think it's a good matchup. Kentucky, I mean, if Iowa doesn't play well, I mean, Kentucky's a very athletic team. I've watched them a few times. So what, if you're Brian Ferentz, what's your game plan against Kentucky? Are you, are, do you think they're going to come out aggressive with a, almost a month to prepare, or do you think it's just going to be more of the same and hope that it works? No, I think we'll have, um, we'll have um, an aggressive uh, game plan. <clears throat> and, um, you know, a bowl game needs to be a reward anyway. You know, people will always remember uh, a Big Ten championship outcome. <clears throat> Oftentimes, to be honest with you, a few years later, people forget even how the bowl came out if it doesn't have any huge uh, effect in the standings, you know, the final mm-hmm. polls and all that stuff. So uh, I hope that the mindset is let's let's entertain our fans. You know, let's be wide open. Let's, let's uh, make every effort to win the game. Let's try to engineer some big plays, either by exotics or just by schemes. Um, you know, unusual schemes that they haven't seen. Uh, I was going to say one of the things that makes us difficult to defend in the old days. Uh, I remember this vividly because we used to talk to players about it in the recruiting process. The obvious question is what makes, why was Iowa so effective back in the 80s? And I realize this is a different time, uh, but you know how that goes. The more things change, the more they stay the same too sometimes. It still applies. One of the things that made us effective, we we did game plan a lot. We played that game of what if. You know, Coach Fry was a very imaginative person. I learned that from him. I learned to be more imaginative as a as a game planner myself 
by just continually asking that question, what if? What if we did this? Nobody's done it, but what if we did this? Here's, here's, a, here's a look at what could happen on video from last week's game, or for that matter, from the last five games they've played. They're predictable with how they line up against this formation. Nobody's taken advantage of it yet. And might we be able to do that? And if it's well thought out, then certainly it's the case. But it requires a lot of time. You've got to study a lot of film to be able to get that done. Uh, but the beauty of it, here's, here's the bottom line. Here's how I used to explain it to a lot of players that wanted to consider playing offense for Iowa. I said, think of this as our offense. The average offense has X number of plays. Our offense has many more than X number of plays. We have more plays than some of these other teams that we're playing against. One reason you like our offense is because it's got a lot of, a lot of different wrinkles to it. And the beauty, here's the beauty of it. Imagine this. Imagine every week you've got a few new plays that are in the offense. Well, here's the only problem. If you're playing Iowa in game 13 or game 14, in this case this year, and you look back at 14 games of plays, in the old days, I promise you, you'd have a lot of plays to look at. And here's the beauty of the offense. Back then, we would run a specific play, not once, but several times in a game. Let's say it's game three. We run them in game three. They're effective. It has something to do with us winning the game. And then we don't run that same play again until game seven or game eight. And the reason we didn't run it in games four, five, six is because it didn't apply to mm -hmm. the defense. So what do you do? You pull it out when you need it again. And the problem for the other team, you can't get ready for all these plays. There's too many of them. So what do you do? Well, you have to guess. You have to guess at which plays they're going to run. And that's the beauty of running an offense that involves – a lot of different plays. You don't have them all in for any game. Mm -hmm. You simply pick and choose from those plays you've run over the past season which plays you're going to run. How do you get ready for that? Any defensive coordinator will tell you it's hard to get ready for those kind of offenses sure. because there's just too many plays to work on. You mm -hmm. don't, you run out of time. You can't do it. So you have to guess and you just have to rely on your players to just play good fundamental football and react to what what they see, because you honestly don't know what's coming. So that's one reason but, we were more effective than people would imagine. So but, this offense isn't, run that fast. but this offense isn't like what? that. And um, well, then that's frankly that's the reason we need to change and modify a little bit. Mm -hmm. well, we, and, need to, we need to we need to find ways to help our players to to um, to win football games, and yes. that's just yes. what we need to do. And, and we, if we want to be stubborn and and not adjust, then I think that's a mistake on our part. And Don, Iowa has been ranked last in the Big Ten in total offense throughout the season, and it's not even close, really. I mean, they're below, they're, they're below 300. Do you think other schools will use that against Iowa in negative recruiting? If another school, they're pursuing us, do you, how, do you think other schools will use that as negative recruiting? I guess that's what I'm asking. Well, let me ask it this way. Do you think for a second that they wouldn't use it? No, I don't. That's why no. I, I guess I'm asking you a rhetorical question. Yeah, yeah I, that's I being used you. against Iowa, I right? I promise you it'll be used against you. Okay, that's kind of what I thought. So what does Iowa do to counter that? Well, you change your ways. And it doesn't have to be anything radical. <laughs> no, I agree. about lining up all day and empty. We're not going to do that. No. That'd be foolish. They don't work. Yeah. Right? No, no, I'm with you. I completely agree. There's people that think that all of a sudden they're going to go Joe Teller, basketball <laughs> on grass. That's not going to happen. Kirk's way works. It's worked. We've seen it. We've seen it. I mean, I mean, 2002, they had great players, and that offense looked so explosive. And I'm with you, Don. I don't think they need to do overhaul, but I just think they need to figure out a way to be more creative and get their guys in better positions to excel. 
And that's and that's kind of what you've been saying. Let me tell you something that Jim Harlib said. You'll find this really interesting. Uh, it was fun for us. Lisa and I ran into a lot of former players at the pep rally on, on Saturday afternoon, uh, one of which was Jim Harlib. And Jim Harlib is about as cerebral a quarterback as we ever had. And he could run. And Jim told me something. What's that? He could run, too. He was a dual. He yeah, wasn't he a dual threat, but he know, was close. You know, honestly, number twelve from Michigan reminded me a lot of Jim. Hartley. I could see that. Yeah, I can he's, too. He's even built kind of like Jim Hartley. The same number, same number, number twelve. Yep. Uh, you know, McNamara is a good quarterback because he's smart. Yep. Jim Hartley was a good quarterback for those same reasons, because he was smart and he was athletic. He was tough. Uh, you know, you could run Q-Draw with Jim, Jim Hartley. You sure could. As a matter of fact, they ran Q-Draw on third and twelve too, didn't they? And got it. Got fourteen. Yeah. Yeah. For a gain of 15, yeah. 15, yeah. So, you know, even Michigan feels like two draws a good play. Uh, well, it's a good play if you can run, and I would certainly suggest to you that Padilla would be a good choice to run two draw. Mm-hmm. I think he would be fine in, in terms of running the ball when no one expects it. Yep. Uh, so that's another possibility for a bowl game, too, is Padilla on two draw. Uh, anyway, Jim, Jim said something that really made an impression on me. He said, Coach, he said, one of the things I appreciated – about about you guys, you were always open to suggestion. And I said, give me an example, Jim, of what you're talking about. And he said, Coach, do you remember two under? And I said, of course. Uh, that was just a, a, a past concept. Two under simply, imagine this. You, on one side of the formation, you've got a tight end and a, a flanker, a wide receiver. And on the other side, you've got two wide receivers. It's a, it's a formation we line up in a lot, right? Right now we line up in it a lot. So on one side, you've got two wide receivers. On the other side, you've got a tight end that's right there next to a tackle. And then you've got another wide receiver outside of him. So there's two receivers on either side. Two under was simply the inside receivers running drive routes across the field, one picking for the other, getting back again to defeat man coverage, rub routes. You know what rub routes are. We yeah. talked about them. Yeah. Yep. Um, and uh, we ran a, a rub route on that fourth down play to, or maybe it's third down to the Porter near the goal line. Was that third down or fourth down? Can't remember. It went for one yard. I think it was fourth down. I think it was, four, it was fourth down. Line. It was fourth down. Uh, the, the drive. Mm-hmm. It was a good concept. It was a rub route, but it was just a poor rub route by the wide receiver because the defender on Laporta came over the top. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the rub route man's got to recognize the path of that defender that's covering the tight end, and I've got to take my defender into a position to rub him off, right? So it was an inexperienced receiver. I think it was one of the freshmen again. He ran a poor rub route. The, uh, Laporta's defender came over the top of him. By that, I mean he was on the downfield side, and he simply ran right to Laporta and hit him for a gain of one. You know, it was – just a, it was a good concept, but just poorly executed on the part of the receiver. And I give the defender credit, too, for recognizing uh, what's happening and, and being fast enough over the top to be able to get to Laporte and keep him short of that first down of that touchdown. It was down on the goal line, of yeah, course. Yep. So, uh, yeah, so that's an example. Anyway, here's what Jim said. He said, he said, Coach, you remember the old 200 concepts? And I said, yeah, you remember? I said, you're talking about 200XN, 200ZN. Uh, you know, so you get, imagine this, it's an all-purpose pass. You've got the inside receivers running two under, one's rubbing for the other. That's to defeat man coverage. If it happens to be zone coverage, you've got an in route coming in behind. And if it was zone coverage, of course, the linebackers would tend to jump those routes right in front of them, and that would give you a chance to throw that in route in behind. I'm talking about throwing a 14-yard route, 16-yard route in behind the linebackers. Well, some people call it dig, same thing. But anyway, Jim said, Coach, you remember 200XM was our base play, 
off of that formation? I said, yeah. He said, here's what I remember you doing. I remember coming to you as, as a backup quarterback to uh, Matt Rogers and saying, Coach, uh, isn't there a good argument to, to do something different on two under other than the complimentary XN round? Uh, and I said, give me an idea, Jim, of what you're talking about. Show me on the video. Jim showed me on the video. The safety was doing a good job at, of, of attacking that drive, that uh, in round. And Jim said, Coach, what if we show the in round and then break back outside on a, on a flag move? I said, Jim, that's a great idea. Let's do it. We did it on Saturday. It worked. And Jim said, I never forgot, Coach, that you were, you were good enough to listen to me. And after, after I had a chance to show you what I was thinking, your response was, yes, let's do it. They don't have to all be my ideas. Uh, we encourage the players to come to us with the good ideas. And if it was a good idea, we'd put it in the game plan. And, of course, they, in that regard, they're taking ownership and they're thinking, well, all this studying I'm doing is paying off because the coaches are actually listening to me. I had a good idea. I presented it to Coach Patterson. We're going to run it on Saturday. And it worked on Saturday. It worked for big yardage. And Jim said, I was so proud that my play that I recommended to you worked on Saturday. But it all started with you listening to me. Mm-hmm. And he said, to be honest with you, Jim's a bank president right now. He said, I use those same concepts today as a leader within our bank. You know, I encourage people, if you've got a good idea, don't keep it to yourself. Bring it to me. And if it's a good idea, we're going to not only – put it into use, we're going to give you credit for it. Um, you know, and, and Jim said, that same concept still applies to my, my work right now in the bank. That is good. I thought it was interesting. No, that he, that... he never forgot that he, he had an idea for 200XN, uh, a takeoff on 200XN. It was 200X flag. Yeah. So we showed the end route and broke to the flag. A little bit like Regani did against Penn State. Remember that? Yeah, play? yeah, mm-hmm. no, exactly. Yep. Yep. Same yep. concept. So so the point is, if you want to try to defeat us with pattern reads, in other words, you think you know what the route's going to be based on other companion routes, we're going to prove you wrong because we're going to change up from time to time. Mm-hmm. We're going to use your knowledge against you. Think of it that way. Mm-hmm. And that's the beauty of, of, um, of game planning is you adjust as the season plays out. You know what they know. And so you're saying, okay, we're going to show you um, what we've been doing, you're going to think you know what's coming as a companion play, and you're going to be wrong because we're going to use your knowledge against you. Hey. Now, that's good football, and that's what we did. Don, I wanted I to ask you. from Bill Snyder. I learned it from Hayden Fry. I wanted to ask you before we wrap up, did you watch the Alabama-Georgia game? I have not. Were you, I, I, I did watch a, a bunch of it before we went to the – to the Lucas Oil, but I mean, were you surprised? I mean, Alabama's quarterback had almost 300 yards passing in the first half against a defense that I thought was—I mean, it—it it, it was just amazing how Al- Alabama looks like the best team again. I mean, I—and that could change, but I mean, I—I I mean, it was amazing how Alabama just marched up and down the field, and the receivers and you always know what look wide so open. Many of these big wins relate to—they relate to very aggressive play calling and good offense. players. That was a secret well, that for too. Michigan. Yeah, think about it this way. We said going in, you know, Michigan has more to lose. Uh, you know, we're playing with house money. You heard all those comments. That's all true. But you have to say this. Who was the more aggressive play caller in the first half? It was Michigan. Oh, it absolutely. 
Yeah, I mean, rarely is Iowa the more aggressive well, play caller, and that's been the case. And I'm not criticizing. I'm just rarely under Kirk has Iowa been the more aggressive play caller. That's just kind of the way well, they approach well, things. Well, I can say, let me say it this way. If it's not your nature to be that way, when you do use that, it really has great effect. Exactly. I'll give you one specific, very graphic example. Ohio State and Kinnick not too many years ago. That was very aggressive play calling. It was. We had nothing to lose. Mm-hmm. You're right. No, that's a good point. And how point. many points did we put up on 55. Ohio State? I forget. 50 55. 55, tw- 55 24. And how many people were okay, complaining that's, about that's our offensive coordinator? <laughs> People were not complaining about our offensive coordinator after that game either. But they were complaining about him the next week at Wisconsin. They sure were. So, but yeah, no, Don. It's I. Well, I mean, the reason they were complaining is because we did not we did not have aggressive play calling no, one week later. No, you're right. Go back and look at the, at yeah. the game tape. No, yeah. you're right. No, you're right about that. So, I mean, I understand fans. They're they're frustrated by what happened, and like I said, uh, they hate it when you bring up they still won ten games. You still got to look at the big picture, but you do. You 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 just Absolutely. have to. I mean, I, this 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 narrative that they just got to fire people and get rid of people after going ten. That's just not realistic with Iowa football. Maybe at a place like Alabama, you might do that, but you're not going to do that here. And I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just facing reality. Tom, what you're? I th- agree with you, hundred percent. I mean, the offense needs. Work. It needs fixed. It doesn't need a major overhaul, but I'm with you, Donnie. I think it starts with aggressive mindset, and we'll see. Hopefully we'll see some of that in the bowl game because what do you think, Mark, before we go, my last question for you, what do you think Mark Stoops is going to do to beat Iowa? What do you think his approach is going to be? You know, that's a good question. I I did have – there was a fan that called in to this this other um, show I'm doing. Uh, It was a Kentucky fan, and he – and he said this. He said, I've got concerns playing you guys because I think maybe your strength is our weakness. And I said, can you be more specific? Because we don't know that much about Kentucky. And he said, one of our big problems this year has been turnovers. We've mm-hmm. turned the ball over a lot on offense. They're, they're minus, I don't know what, minus 13 or something on turnovers. Wow. Well, this year. Looked- he said, it's been a real problem for us. We've turned the ball over a lot on offense, and we haven't done a very good job of generating turnovers on defense. And I said, well, that's going to be a, uh, a stark difference from Iowa because we do a good job of protecting the ball on offense and we force turnovers in a major way on defense. So I think one huge advantage for us going into the game would be the likelihood that we win conventionally on turnovers. That would be we huge. We still have to do it, uh, but the signs are there. You know, over sure. the entire mm-hmm. regular season for both teams, they've struggled on turnover margin. It's been one of our strengths. I expect that to continue. Okay, that's We're going to protect it right. well against Kentucky. And um, uh, based on history, it sounds like Kentucky's more likely to turn it over than we are. So advantage Iowa, no doubt about it. I on like pa- that. On paper, I think it looks like a good game. Yep, it's gonna it be. does. And, Donnie, we'll do this. I mean, we'll take a couple of weeks off. But we'll, do, we'll maybe um, hook up with you the Monday before they go play and, of course, the Monday – after they're done playing, but man, it's been a lot of fun this season. And sure has. I understand again that fans are pissed off about what happened Saturday, but they still have won ten games, and it's just that sometimes you just have to kind of look at that and just accept it. I'm not even up, but you know what I'm saying. I mean, but yeah. man, my ten t- wins and winning your division is that's a lot of accomplishment. That's a lot folks. of accomplishment. But the people will say, "Well, imagine if we had an offense that was just halfway competent." They go, "Well, yeah. you don't." We don't. You got to accept. Yeah. And, and I hope the listeners understand, too. Um, you know, I don't want to sound critical 
of Iowa football, but I'm passionate about sure. Iowa football. I want Iowa football to be something that's special for players and coaches and fans. Um, you know, let's face it, you know, there's nothing better than than uh, wonderful memories of your college days or, for that matter, your childhood days if mm-hmm. you were lucky enough to be in Kinnick. Sure. Uh, everybody has so many uh, happy memories from what's happened in Kinnick Stadium. I just want that to continue. Uh, you know, I just want Iowa football to to um, perform as it has pretty much over, over the last 40-plus years. Mm-hmm. That's something we can take great pride in. And yep. I know we do, and I just want nothing but the best for Iowa football, too. And um, I think you know this. I'm very passionate about the program. We've got, absolutely got the right guy in charge. Uh, you know, we've got a, a wonderful group of players and coaches. I just would encourage us to be more aggressive with our offensive mentality and give us a better chance to be a, a more effective force on offense. I think that's something we can improve on. Okay, Donnie, right. great stuff as usual. We'll take, like I said, we'll, t- we'll I'll be in touch with you here. A uh, couple. Of weeks. We'll we'll do we'll we'll do this again to pre. We'll preview the bowl and then we'll review it. And then recap the season and you have a good week. And Tom, anything else? Nope. Thank you so much for all your insight, Coach. And uh, we look forward to, to doing it a couple more times yet with the bowl game approaching. That sounds great. I have no doubt that better days are ahead, and I'm looking forward to one of them being on January first. All oh, right. Thanks, Donnie. You. All right. Appreciate it. Yep. Take care. Thanks, Coach. Bye-bye. And with that, let's take a little break, and uh, we'll be back. We went uh, 70 minutes on that one. We went over the hour. 70 minutes. You did great. You were on the, uh, you know, it was offensive. Well, were we on the (laughs) cusp of greatness? (laughs) Was it offensive? Were we being aggressive? You were being aggressive. Were we thinking outside the box a little bit? Did we Uh, ask the tough questions? The station is outside the box. So third and 20, are you running? Are you taking the tailback off left tackle? No. On third and 20? I thought that I'm was just, just absurd. I tweeted after that, why don't you at least try to get a first down? And, and, and then somebody right away, they're in the red zone. They're in their, they're buried deep in. There was somebody defending. They're buried deep. It was a guy who basically just said if you did anything different than what they did, the whole world was going to come to an end. Listen, I just, uh, we can talk about it. No, we can talk about yeah. it. Just, yeah, we'll talk about it after this. From the Hurting and Stalker Studios in the heart of the Hawkeye Nation, this is the mighty 1630 KCJJ Iowa City. Hurting and Stalker Jewelers, making memories, making moments. 1-800-800-ROSE 1-800-800-ROSE Your FTD florist is the only number you need to know to send flowers anywhere in the country or Canada from anywhere in the country. 1-800-800-ROSE It's so easy, just remember one number. 1-800-800-ROSE Your FTD florist. 1-800-800-ROSE Remember... For a gift that your loved one will treasure for a lifetime, find it at our family-owned jewelry store in Iowa City, Hurtine and Stocker Jewelers. We can show you diamond engagement rings, colored stones, fashion jewelry, and watches. Our jewelers are on site, so we can design jewelry for that special person in your life. We are Hurtine and Stocker, serving Iowa City and the surrounding area for three generations. Hurtine and Stocker Jewelers, downtown Iowa City, and HurtineandStockerJewelers.com. As for Willa, Terry, Tim, or Kate, one of us is always there. 
Over the years, car keys have gotten extremely complex. Mike's Lock and E Keys for Cars can generate the most technically advanced automotive keys on the market today. Mike's Lock and E Keys for Cars can produce most conventional transponder, sidewinder, and remote-headed keys. If you've lost the keys to your car or simply need a duplicate, call 330-9185. Mike's Lock and E Keys for Cars has the technology to keep you on the road. Call 330-9185 and schedule an appointment today. It's that wonderful holiday time of the year. Moments of eating too much, spending time with family, and in some cases maybe trying to avoid family. However, you choose to celebrate. The Diamond Dental team of Dr. Forbes, Kate, Michelle, and Crystal would like to wish everyone a happy, healthy, and safe holiday. Here's to hoping you enjoy every minute of this joyous time of the year. Rest assured, Diamond Dental is here, providing superior care for your entire family during the holiday season and all year long. This is Patrick Eads, owner of Geary Brothers Ford Lincoln, serving Iowa City in the corridor. Proud recipient of Ford's President Award for the highest customer satisfaction in both sales and service. Voted Iowa City's Best of the Area for New Car Dealer 2017 through 2019. Voted Iowa City's Best of the Area for Used Car Dealer 2020. Locally owned and operated, we understand the importance of community-minded business. We proudly support youth sports. Deary Brothers Ford Lincoln at the corner of Mormon Trek Boulevard and Highway 1 or online at DearyFord.com. Best wishes from everyone at Suple Siding and Remodeling. It is our sincere wish that you'll enjoy a very wonderful holiday season and a very happy new year. Season's greetings from Suple Siding and Remodeling. Car won't steer? Call Premier. Premier Automotive in North Liberty offers full-service mechanical auto repair work in addition to being Eastern Iowa's most trusted name in auto body repair. Use Premier for all your auto repair needs. Brakes, oil changes, air conditioning, diagnostics, transmissions, or preventive maintenance. Whether you hit a deer or your car won't steer, see Premier Automotive in North Liberty. From Hawkeye Title and Settlement comes best holiday wishes for a beautiful holiday season and a new year full of peace and happiness. Happy holidays and happy new year from Hawkeye Title and Settlement. Hey everybody, it's Kevin here from Big Dog Satellite and Solar, your local TV expert, and I want to tell you about Dish TV. If technology, value, and customer satisfaction are important to you, then it's time to cut the cable cord once and for all. Upgrade your TV experience and start saving with Dish today. Drop by Big Dog Satellite and Solar on Blair's Ferry Road in front of Rockwell. Call 3950800 or visit us on the web at bigdogsatellite.com. We are Big Dog Satellite and Solar. Your locally operated and trusted satellite TV experts. Players Sports Bar and Grill in downtown Iowa City is now open for lunch at 11 a.m., seven days a week. Stop in for big specialty burgers, Tex-Mex tacos, soups, salads, and more. Players Sports Bar and Grill also features gourmet hot dogs, including the famous Iowa dog, covered in bacon, corn relish, and ranch. Located at 219 Iowa Avenue, Players Sports Bar and Grill has indoor and outdoor seating, plus carryout and delivery through Chomp. Daily deals and the full menu are available online at playersic.com or place an order at 319-800-2199. That's 319-800-2199. Players Sports Bar and Grill, great food, craft cocktails, and the ultimate place to watch your favorite sporting event. 
deer season is upon us and Dirk Sterner Taxidermy of Lone Tree is ready. For over 30 years, owner Dirk Sterner has been providing affordable, top-notch taxidermy services to Eastern Iowa. Dirk Sterner Taxidermy invites you to visit their Facebook page and see some of Dirk's award-winning mounts. Call Dirk Sterner Taxidermy at 319-330-1774, 319-330-1774, or visit them on Facebook at Dirk Sterner Taxidermy. Deer season is upon us, and Dirk Sterner Taxidermy is ready. Hi, this is Bill Eichsnering of the Oxyoke Inn. Especially now, all of us need a little comfort. The Oxyoke Inn has been offering comfort for over 80 years. From our signature recipes, quality of food, family-style service, and historical ambiance, a return to the Oxyoke Inn is like a warm hug. Now, serving lunch, dinner, and banquets. Don't forget, you can still order curbside carryout, including our famous pies, and take the comforting taste of the Oxyoke home with you to share at your family's table. Visit oxyokein.com for hours, menus, reservations, weekly specials, and gift cards. From our family to yours, we can't wait to see you again soon. And we'll be glad you're here at the Oxyoke Inn in the heart of Amana. The Oxyoke Inn. KCJJ Weather, brought to you by Plum Supply. Plum Supply, kitchens and baths, your home never looks so beautiful. Here is your KCJJ forecast. It is going to be really windy today, but the wind will gradually die down here throughout the day today. It will be sunny. Our high right around 28 with temperatures gradually dropping into the teens by late this afternoon. The wind today gusting to between 30, 35 this morning, down to about 10 to 20 by later this afternoon. Tonight down to 13. Tomorrow flurries with a high near 28. I'm meteorologist Sean Cable on the mighty 1630 KCJJ. Currently, it's 26. HawkFanatic.com is back. They are, and better than ever, Steve. <laughs> now, speaking of better than ever. <laughs> oh, we, by the way, the landfill is closing at 11 this morning. Because of the wind? Because of the yeah. wind. We do have a winner in our Hawkeye football contest this year. Um, a clear winner, Boca Hawkeye. Peter Arts from Florida. From Florida. Yep. He had the Hawkeyes at 11-1, but he only missed one game, which was the Purdue game. We had one other person who was 11-1, missed also the Purdue game, but Boca Hawkeyes' point total was closer. And so Boca wins. And the only thing they had to do was beat me, and they did. I uh, had picked 10-2, which is right, but I missed uh, two of the games. So... Uh, Boca wins, and congratulations to him. A couple hundred and fifty bucks will be winging your way, and I'm going to make Steve sign the check. Oh, no. When we get that about 20, <laughs> oh, <no>. 2023. <laughs> Once you get that, 2023, the check? <laughs> yeah. We'll send it out. Pony send it Express? Out a, send it out. A, well, well, what you do is. Might as well just send it out by the post office. Well, that's just, true. No, write the check out, then don't send it for six months, then it'll be void and you won't have to pay him. Yeah, listen, and just I blame it. Just say, I hey, could, we mailed it. I could send the check out now and it might not get there yeah. for six months. Tell me about it. So, but. Yeah. I, all I know is here's a phone call. Here, <laughs> well, let's see where this takes us. Good morning. Good morning, Captain oh, Steve. Jesus. No, we're not going to do. We're not doing. We're not doing it now. We're not doing it now. You can do it later. Doesn't Molly in at eleven? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When Molly, I'm kind of, I'm kind of a 
bummed out today. Well, that's too bad. I'm sorry to hear I'm that. Sorry to Many hear of it. us might be. Yes. But I'm not doing that right now. Fair enough. So we got... Uh, <laughs> did you go to the Purdue game, Pat? Yes. Um, if you would read my site, you would see, although you were on the road. I, I was on the road. I did see some of your tweets. But yes, I was at the Purdue game. Yeah, I saw and it. I was pleasantly surprised. Uh, me but too. I'm not ready to say that they're, this team is destined for greatness. I, I think that was more of a, I think this team could be better than we thought, but let's just see some more. Let's just see some more because it just seems like so many times you say that and then they could go and lose by eight to Illinois tonight. And, and we could. And so, yeah, let's just be happy that they played well. But let's de- make it has to be some sweeping narrative that they're underrated, disrespected, no. and just just let the journey let it play out a little bit. Hello, hello. Is Keegan going to be ready for tonight? I, Fran said he thought so, but he's then he said he doesn't know. It's just we don't know. And also, um, what do you think they're going to do against Illinois? Um, if I had to guess right now, I would. I don't really have a gut feeling either way. I, I really don't. I mean, I they're either going to win or lose. They're I did right. see an Illinois fan uh, said that Curbelo was he, out. Well, that's already been released. Uh, okay. Yeah, the, the, he's not playing. And, well, um, how, good, how good has Illinois been so far? Well, they're 5-2. and two. They've won four games in a row. they got the one of the best players in the country at center. So, yeah, it's but I don't think this is a great Illinois team by any means. I really don't. I so we'll see. Iowa's at home. They need to win this. You don't want to start 0-2 and already nope. have a nope. – if you want to do something. I I mean, I know it's a 20-game schedule, but this is a big game. You don't want to be 0-2 and have a home loss already. And Now, do you think that uh, we could have beaten Purdue with Keegan in there? I don't know. Or do you think that the other players were playing above their head because Keegan wasn't I, in it's, there? It's impossible to know. I mean, you could argue either way. I mean – you could argue either way, or maybe Purdue would have played harder if Keegan was in there. Who knows? You just don't know. Sometimes yeah, things just true. happen. Sometimes things just play out the way they did. Purdue did not play very well. No, they didn't. They just didn't play very well. They just, And yet, it really never felt like Iowa was going to win. Even when it got down to two points, I just always felt like Purdue was going to do just enough to get yep. by, and they did. Yep. And, and weren't we having trouble with our threes? Well, yeah, because um, yeah. that was Purdue's defense. There's reason Bohannon was covered and Connor was open. That's called scouting and defense. Yeah. And, yeah, and I was having trouble making threes. And also, what is the big deal between the coaches at Iowa State Wrestling and Iowa Wrestling? They wouldn't even shake hands they don't like after each other. the meet was over with. I mean, it's former Iowa guys that are coaching over there, and there's just a heated rivalry, and right now they apparently don't like each other. And – I don't cover it closely well, enough. Telford and St. John were going at it. Yeah, I mean, St. John's now with Iowa State, and when you're with the rival, I think that builds up animosity, I think, especially in a sport like wrestling, where I think it really helps to be sort of, I don't want to say hate the other opponent, but kind of that man's mindset. And, yeah, and it's no secret that there's friction now between the two programs. But to me, why even make them shake hands? I, I'm getting. Did you see the high school kid who punched the other kid in the video from the Carlisle game? I don't, I'm beginning to think that maybe the sportsmanship stuff is overrated. Don't make them shake hands after games. I don't know why you have to do that. To well, me, a that's lot of that's too, a lot of that's disingenuous anyway. It's forced. Both teams lost a point on them, sportsmanlike. Iowa lost a point on their bench, and mm-hmm. sportsmanlike, and the other. Yeah. Team lost a point on uh, the guy was so thrilled when he beat, uh, I think it was Warner, and that he threw his uh, headgear down. Yeah, so 
But yeah, but there's just some animosity right now between the two staffs, and obviously I think part of it's due to you got three Hawkeyes leading the Cyclones right now. Well, I suppose that's what makes wrestling go. You have to hate. Well, hate yeah, your that's right. Yeah, that's part of it. I think that's part of it. Yep, yep. Okay, well, thanks, guys. Yep. Thanks, Karen. Let's hope for a win tonight. Oh, that'd be great. Indeed. That would be great. It would Obviously, the season would not be over if they fall 0-2, but pressure starts building. And, I mean, they need to avoid losing. But I, Iowa State is, I'm beginning to, they're, I'm not saying they're for real. But oh, they're, they sure seem to be. They're pretty good. They're very athletic. This He's done a complete overhaul they, of that they're roster. They're ranked. They're ranked and they're playing works. well. And Iowa needs to avoid losing both games this week, obviously. Mm-hmm. I don't want to mm-hmm. sound like Captain Obvious, but, I mean, this could be a this could be a hurtful week if they're not careful. And we need to protect our home court, court tonight. And I'd rather have Keegan play against Illinois than Iowa State. The problem yes. is Illinois is three days earlier, so I mean they need to beat Illinois more than they need to beat Iowa State. Absolutely. Hello. No, he does not. What makes wrestling go? He does what makes chippy ankle biter, uh, untalented wrestlers compete. And. That that wrestling meet last night was totally just the hate state people biting at the ankles of the Hawkeyes. Okay, now what I will say I don't I'm not a wrestling expert, but you cannot tell Iowa State's got pretty good wrestlers, and the guys coaching them were really good wrestlers. So, yeah. I mean, I mean, I think that's a little dismissive of Iowa State, and I'm but I mean because you're not going to wrestle at Iowa State, especially now if you're not at least a halfway decent wrestler. Am I not right? I mean, they don't have a bunch of crappy wrestlers over there, do they? Well, they have in the past. They certainly have. But they, I'm talking but, now. I mean, but well, he's coaching them up to uh, you know, us against the world kind of thing. It's a cheesy, half baked way to get your wrestlers motivated is to talk about the hate and everything. And you know, Kyvan Gadsden was the commentator for the ESPN Plus uh, broadcast, and he's he's an Iowa State guy. He's a fantastic Waterloo East wrestler. He's a rival, but he even he was saying this is. This is a little chippy. This is unnecessary. So, mm-hmm. yeah, Tyvin Gadsden did a fantastic job. I don't know who the Joker was they had for the play-by-play, but yeah, this this was uh, uh, Iowa State got under the skin of a couple of Hawkeyes, and uh, yeah, the coaches did a good job pulling those guys back. I mean, even the Iowa State heavyweight doing a shoulder check into Cassiope, that was that was totally you know bush league. So okay, typical. yeah, I, like I said, I wasn't, I did not watch it. I, I don't know, and so that must just be the way he thinks he can get them to be better. I mean, they are yeah, getting better. That's be- the way he is. They're getting Absolutely. better. They're getting better under him. I mean, it's, I think that seems. But there, you know, there was a low bar set when he took over. They mm. weren't very good. So, sure. So, but yeah, I mean, I, but why make them shake hands? And if there's that much friction, it's just ridiculous. So don't right. don't make, don't force the teams to shake hands if they don't like each other. Yeah, that wasn't very socially distancing, but. Yeah. Oh, I'll let you go. True. All right. Thanks. But these these post-game handshake lines, I just think, are just so disingenuous. I okay. don't shake hands with Hunter. <laughs> but did you guys see the thing, the high school kid? You Google yeah. it. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. And something was said, I guess, during the course of the game that got this kid upset. But if you don't have these stupid handshake lines at the end, you wouldn't have that problem. Yeah. It would be easier to monitor that. And I don't want to sound like I'm just against being nice and respecting your competition, but – I don't know. I just think these handshake lines are just forced. They're just somebody's trying to say, "Hey, look at us. We're all for sportsmanship." Yeah, this is the best sportsmanship. Well, plus there is a pesky pandemic going on, which might, you know. 
and I will say, and, and I'm not dis, I'm not disagreeing with the previous caller, but there will be there's people that will say, well, Iowa wrestlers wrestle with an edge, and oh, of course, with they a little do. bit of hate too. I mean, uh, but I understand what I mean. This Iowa State does seem to be taking sort of an aggressive, sort of a confrontational mindset to trying to rebuild this thing. And my guess is Iowa State, they're just frustrated that they're not as good as Iowa, and he's trying to rebuild a program that he was part of, a dynasty that those three guys helped to build, and now they're over at Iowa State, and it's not as easy because of Iowa, and it probably yep. pisses them off. And is, have we won 18 straight 17. against him? 17. 17. Now, and that's a worthy accomplishment, but there's been a lot of years where Iowa State, like this caller said, was not very not good. Not good at they're all. They're getting better. What was it, 23-12? to 12? But now, of course, Iowa was missing Spencer Lee, and I think they went, somebody else didn't wrestle last night too um but i think with iowa state i think those guys are frustrated that they can't compete with iowa at the at the level they want to and to resort to that stuff i do agree with the caller that if it is all one-sided i don't know enough i'm guessing an iowa state fan would call in here and say that iowa did its part to instigate yesterday too i i don't know i I mean, well, I wasn't there, and I, wasn't I didn't there. watch it, so I don't but know. But didn't this but... caller make it sound like it was all Iowa State caused? All yeah. The and maybe mostly. they did. I'm not denying it. I'm not, I'm not um, denying that. Maybe they did. And like I said, I've heard there is bad blood, and I don't think Kevin Dresser likes the Brand Brothers, and, no. and I think it's pretty obvious. But at some point, you also need to realize that you're an adult and you're a head coach, and you, you can't just—it just can't just always be the confrontation and friction. And at some point, you have to be able to compose yourself, even in a sport like wrestling. And if what this caller said, it doesn't—it sounds like Iowa State was a bad loser yesterday. If that's what really happened, so. Yeah, sounds like. Now, uh, better news: uh, Hawkeye women got off to a good start against Michigan State. Uh, Caitlin Clark with a triple double. And did you go? No, we did. We weren't back in time, but we watched uh, the last three quarters. Yeah, I mean, 800th win for Lisa. She's the she's the fifth active women's basketball coach to get 814th overall in the history of the game. So yeah, Lisa's making a serious case for. She is. I mean, her. she's doing a great job. Team played real well. I watched. I. Yep. Um, I got back. We got back. It was, I think it was halftime when we got back, something like that. And I watched it, and they just blew them out there. Or no, we, I, I, I walked in the house about second quarter, and that's when they really started to pull mm -hmm. away. No, it was a good effort by them, and they needed to. I mean, they lost their last game, and I, haven't, I don't know if the polls have come out yet, but I mean, I think hopefully this will maybe keep them in the top ten, but not that that's really that important right now. But like Lisa said, you have to protect your home court. If you're going to do anything and, and make the tournament, you have to protect your home court. That's what's big about tonight. That's exactly right. I mean, right. if Iowa wants to make the NCAA tournament, they're going to have to be at worst 10 and 10, 11 and 9. And it's hard to be 11 and 9 if you're losing home games. And because I, because I could see Iowa losing a few games on the road this year. So, and when I saw Keegan Murray after the Purdue game, he was limping still pretty noticeably and his ankle was wrapped in ice. And that was three days after mm -hmm. the injury had occurred. So, like in, in response to Carnes, when Fran was asked about it yesterday, he says, he goes, I just don't know. You, to me, the story's still developing. How Keegan feels right now may be different than how he feels four hours from now. It, he could be, these next four or five hours could be crucial to whether he can play tonight. I'm 50, I don't have a gut feeling either way. After and the what ankles Fran are so iffy, you know, they vary so much. And uh, do, do you know if it's a garden variety or high ankle? Um, I couldn't tell, by the way. I don't know how high it is. Well, if it was a high, high ankle sprain, I think he'd be out longer than mm -hmm. this because, I mean, it's barely been a week. So um, he had it more on the base of the ankle, the ice bag and whatever, but he was still limping. Now, he could have been limping because he had the ice on him, but, I mean, obviously he didn't move real well um, 
and when I was watching him earlier, it, you can just tell he's still hampered by this thing. So hopefully they have him tonight because they will need him. I mean, I don't. Illinois is not as good as Purdue, and it'll be at home. But you just never know. I, Illinois could come out. They got a new guard from Utah who who's made every free throw he's attempted this year. Um, Alfonso Plummer, he had 24 points the other day. He's a six-one guard. So, um, but they're gonna miss Carbello. Carbello is one mm-hmm. of the best passers in the Big Ten, and uh, assuming he is definitely out, which is the report. So. We'll see. I mean, the other nice thing about tonight's game is it starts at 6. Yes. Thank God. I won't be there. I, I won't. Well, I'll be at the office watching it, but which is my um, office yeah. at home. Dallas Jones is going to be there covering it for Hawk Fanatic. He's actually covering the – he's going to Iowa State, too. Dallas is a big, huge Iowa basketball fan, and I know he's really looking forward to doing this. So you'll have double coverage from us tonight. And, but, yeah, this is a big week for Iowa basketball. I mean, and that Iowa State game – looks like it could be a real interesting game it really does they have really come on i did not expect them to be this good well it's this a fast. huge turnaround from going they didn't win a conference didn't game. win any conference games yeah so no that was um it's very impressive what Altenberger has going on there so we'll see and um but yeah tonight six o'clock iowa versus illinois and big game for both teams i mean i think we'll learn a little bit more i was proud of the way iowa played i mean they played hard and if you would have never had heard anything about Iowa men's basketball under Fran McCaffrey and you watched that game, you would have thought that Iowa's strength is defense. They yeah. were better on defense than they were on they offense. They were. And what's impressive about that is before, when they weren't good on offense, they would pout and not play good on defense. This team had none of that. And I will say that that, that game is exactly why I do not bet on sporting events. Oh, yeah, without question. I would have – Bet a thousand dollars that Purdue was going to win that game and what was win the it big. Um, was it like twelve, a, twelve, yeah, and they won by seven. And yet, when they were up by nineteen, I thought it was over. Oh, and I think Purdue, too. I think Purdue thought it was over. I think they thought, okay, uh, we're done. And Iowa, we got this. Iowa, um, Purdue played as if they never thought they were going to lose. And sometimes you can that can backfire on you, and it almost did. And Matt Painter said that Iowa played harder, played with more purpose, and and yet Purdue still won by seven points at home, yep. and they they move on. They just marked that down as a game where we maybe didn't have our best effort, but we avoided a home loss, and we just move on. So. And I was very encouraged by uh, Joshua Goodplay. I was too. I was too. He did get away with a couple travel calls in the post that they just missed, but hey, who cares? I mean, I thought he ran the court well. He's not heavy anymore. He, he I mean, I, he still needs to tone up. He's not up. in shape yet. He's not but. in shape yet, but he's not carrying a bunch of extra girth anymore. And I loved his aggressiveness, and they need him. They're going to need him tonight. Yeah. He's yes, going to have are. to play some minutes tonight just to, if they get, just to have somebody stand in front of Coburn and maybe foul him a few times. Coburn's not a good free throw shooter, and Josh can put a body on him. So, no, I was encouraged by that. And Very I was much. encouraged by a lot of what I saw. Yep. I mean, Tony Perkins is turning out he may be their best two-way player on the team right now no, and he I doesn't like, even I like start his game a the lot. dynamic and i did like the fact that they had tony and jordan in there together because that was another game where jordan just what's the word i need i'm not saying he checked i mean disappeared ivy was on him jordan knew right away he wasn't going to get open looks like he did against virginia and the problem is when jordan doesn't get open threes the rest of his game sort of dissolves yes i agree there's nothing else to, and that's why fran Jordan wasn't in down the stretch. Uh-uh. Tony Perkins was in. And uh, I liked how Aaron Eulis played. I did, too. He made uh, a big three. He did. And I loved how Joe Toussaint played. Yeah. Joe Toussaint's making jumpers now, and if he can keep doing that. No, that was a very – I mean, it was – the to me, it was about as close as you could have to a moral victory. I know coaches – And I don't it, believe in them. And – 
but for the we, most part. I don't either, but we always talk about him. And yep. we, we and Fran was in pretty good spirits after the game because I think Fran realized, man, we did about as good as we could do under the circumstances. Matt Painter was more upset after the game than Fran. I thought um, Chris Murray had a nice game. He did. He took a couple questionable shots, but I don't mind that. He's very competent in his ability, perhaps too competent at times, but I'd rather have it that way than the other way. Um. Not much out of Peyton in that particular game. No, that doesn't surprise me. I mean, yeah. teams like Purdue aren't just going to give you wide-open threes. They're just not going to. Unless your name's Connor. Well, yeah, if, unless it's by design. Yeah. And that's what they did. And, you know, fairness, Connor, he took him. I feel bad for him, but that's just not the strength of his game, and that's why he was open. God, you got to take him, though. You do. Uh, I mean, well, some will say, well, why not let somebody – why not okay. try to get a different shot? I mean, Purdue was welcoming Connor to shoot those threes, and – it just didn't work out. So, but they still need Connor in there for other reasons. He he's a stabilizer in a lot of ways. So, no, I was very encouraged by by the game and now but they just can't regress tonight. They can't come out if Keegan Murray doesn't play and lose by 10. They no. cuz then that will not be a good look. They need to get some they need to feed off the momentum that they got from this game by winning cuz that's the only way they're going to get momentum. <coughs> a moral victory is not possible against Illinois tonight. No. Even without Keegan Murray, I will not go there. And we're going to have to play as hard as we did against Purdue. And if we do, we should come out on. Well, I think this team's always going to play hard because of the. I mean, the nature of Joe Toussaint, the uh-huh. nature of Keegan Murray. It's 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 in the makeup of these players. Joe Toussaint, maybe his greatest strength is his pressure defense. I think he knows that, and I think that's what's going to help this team. This team is a better defensive team than last year. It's not. They even, did. It's not even close. And the the press was pretty darn was effective. Good. I like how Patrick McCurry or McCurry Patrick McCaffrey. <laughs> I like how. His length helps on the press and yep. his quickness. So, yeah, no, that was a very surprising performance by Iowa. Now you just got to build on it, though. And you have to, the only way to build on it tonight is with a victory. Yep, we need to win. I don't care if they lose 71-70 to 70 and they play their ass off. It's not going to be good. No. You can't win. No, you no, can't no, no, lose no. tonight. You have to win. I agree with you. So, there we go. And, and if it, we have to make a pact with the devil to win tonight and lose against Iowa State, I'll, I'll sign on the dotted line. It's conference play. Yep. So, how was St. Elmo's? Oh, my God, it was so good. What did you end up getting? Uh, tenderloins, a little tenderloin. How much was that? I think 40. Oh, you got the cheapest. Yeah, 44, but it also included baked potato. Oh, I thought it was all a la carte. Uh-uh. It included oh. baked potato, bread, and, um, God, what else? Salad? No, salad was a la carte. How much was that? A Caesar salad would have been $12. <laughs> So, but we didn't get it. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> um, so back to the football game, Suter. I could sense yep. the frustration in your voice. Uh-huh. What frustrated you the most this year, the Wisconsin game or the Big Ten championship? Uh, well, th- uh, this, I think, because going into Wisconsin, I knew we were not going to play well, and I knew we weren't going to win. This, I had at least a glimmer of, of hope that, yes, Michigan's probably a better team than we are. And Wisconsin. Wisconsin's better than Wisconsin. Yes, they Michigan's are. Michigan's better than Wisconsin. Yes, they are. Cause I, I watched that game. So my, my frustration was more with uh, plays like the, the third and 20 not even attempting to, yeah. to improve. I mean, just saying, okay, we can't get this. We're going to uh, run an a off-tackle play and maybe it'll work. Yeah, I was with a crowd of people that same play, and everybody was just like, what the heck is going on? So they yeah. almost like we gave up yeah. at yeah. that time. For, exactly. Yeah, so yep. agree totally. So, All right, thanks. All right, thanks. 
And like I said, I, I don't normally disagree with Don because obviously he's forgotten way more about football than oh my all God, of course. But I'm not as – I still say Kirk has more say over not necessarily the play called at that particular time, but the way the offense looks because you've had three different coordinators over Kirk. Ken, mm-hmm. Greg Davis, and Brian in the offense. Greg made it a little more horizontal, but the offense for the most part has not it's changed. Pretty much- it's exactly the same thing. So – the coordinators change, but the offense doesn't. To me, that's the head coach. And I'm not saying that as criticism. I'm just saying that's how I look at it. Because, you know, Kirk could look at all, take everything we say today, and he could say, all right, guys, we've won 10 games at Iowa. And I agree with that. But, but some fans don't. And I don't, you know, that's what I got really sick of uh, is because we won 12 in a row, missed two, and, and we won 10 games this season. And that isn't going to get anyone at Iowa fired no. whatsoever. But what I'm saying and no. what fans are saying, at some other schools, the offensive coordinator yeah. would be in trouble. Yes. But yeah. Iowa's different because of the dynamic, father-son, and it's true. just Iowa. I mean, okay. Greg, Kirk didn't fire Greg Davis. Everyone's saying, well, he's only doing this because it's his son. No, he's doing it because he's loyal, and they're winning enough games in Kirk's mind. now. but some fans will say, okay, we're winning nine and ten games, but we're not sniffing elite status right. in year 23. Okay, and I, I, so be it. But the fact this one guy posted uh, that the only way Brian got his job uh, in the NFL and and uh, here was Kirk. I'm sure. Trust me, Captain. I, it, Kirk it, helped. It trust helped. me. Kirk helped immensely. It, it might have helped. He, it but helped I don't know that the NFL him, is going to. I do know it helped yeah. immensely. It to get in the him, NFL. Yes, it helped being Brad, Kirk Ferentz. I'm not criticizing him, but it's foolish to think that that didn't have anything to do with it. Trust me, it did. And I'm not saying that as criticism, but Brian has risen a fast ascent because of who his father is. You can't deny that. Well, I'm and not, I'm not saying that as criticism. I'm not saying that, but they certainly wouldn't have kept him. He was there for two years, three years. And, I mean, he had, a, he had a consulting job his first year. And I'm not saying he didn't do a good job, but to heck like Kirk Ferentz. I mean, Kirk's other son... Um, Let's see, who's Steven working for now? Uh, you know, I'm not sure. I think he's working for the Miami Dolphins. And I'm, I'm, but being, in fairness to Kirk, Kirk has done enough to where he can use his clout you, you to bet. help his sons. That's the way everything works well, in a society. I don't have a problem with it. Some people do. I know. I know. Some people do. Some people don't think that some people think Brian's in over his head because he was given this job when he wasn't qualified. I'm not saying that necessarily, but there's a lot of people out there that say that, especially after what happened Saturday. Well, Saturday was a debacle. Well, Wisconsin was but a debacle. Then, Purdue was the, a debacle. Yeah. There's been a lot of debacles no against here. elite teams. But, no, to act like Brian climbed the ladder under a normal pace, that's I couldn't be any further from the truth. I just think that the NFL would, I mean, Kirk I know and Bill that, Belich- Kirk and Bill Belichick are very good very, friends. Yes, they A ton are. of respect. Yep. That is the reason. He, James Ferentz has been on New England's practice squad for how long? Years. I mean, trust me. No, and I, like yes. I said, I don't want this to come off as criticism. I'm just being realistic and transparent. That Kirk's influence had a lot to do with where Brian is right now. It had a lot to do with where Steven is right now. It has a lot to do with where James is. And if James wants to get into coaching, and I say more power to him, Kirk's influence will have a lot to do to help James. That's just the way it works. I mean, and Kirk's not the only head coach that uses his clout to help his family. Oh, my God. Everyone not. does it. Yeah. But to act like – but it's not – but. Um, 
trust me though, it had a lot to do with it. And I don't want it to sound like criticism. And the other thing is when they lose like this, the haters come out and think that they're 90% of the Iowa fan base and they're not. And they're not. I'd still say it's 65, 70, 30 in support of Kirk and being, okay, yeah, I wish the offense was better, but we won 10 games. I still say there's more of them than the people say, fire Brian, this nepotism is BS. Yes. I'm sick of it. There's more of the people who are over, who are willing to overlook that if they are still relatively successful. And to me, 10 wins is successful. Well, yeah. I mean, and, but winning, it's not elite. Winning the division, no. It's it not isn't. elite, but not it elite. is successful. Yeah, it's and it's successful enough. But there's a lot of schools, though, that if the offense was this bad and they were this close to getting elite, they would maybe make a change. Well, they might. But I, I remember I, when you started here, and the reason uh, you're still here wasn't because of parental influence as much as you were the Feeney. only one. You Feeney. were the well, you were the only one that would show up. Well, uh, <laughs> from the press. Well, that was different. Sports buddies, though. You and Feeney worked that out. I didn't know who any of you guys were. So my connection to Feeney. Feeney's like my dad in this case. He helped me. He helped me get in here. But uh, but no. And like I said, I don't want to come off as sounding like I'm critical. But it's just it's common sense to think that Kirk hasn't helped Brian get to where he no, is. No, no. I mean, I, come on. I would would never disagree with that. Hello. You know, uh, several years ago, we had finally, and I say finally, that aha moment on defense where we switched from a 4-3-4 to a, to a 4-2-5 to, to be able to guard that, that slot receiver with not a linebacker, and it made a big difference. I mean, it just seems like there's been so many aha moments in the last two or three years on offense to say, when are we going to make that change to, to, to change up what we're doing on offense? Because so- we did it on defense, and, you know, between – Dane Belton and, and Monty Hooker, you know, we, we made that change on defense to uh, allow us to play uh, a more athletic squad on the field. As to what is that moment on offense that we finally decide to, to pull the trigger and make some changes. But what, what are you, how are you going to change it? What are you going to do? Well, I, and that's the thing. I don't know if it's, you know, I mean, I think uh, uh, Pat and, uh, and Coach Patterson had different views on it, whether it's a it's a philosophical coaching issue, but Coach Ferris has proven that he can change it. It's just like a slowly moving sh- ship that, I mean, I don't know if the conversation that how we changed our defense was more of a Phil Parker demanding it or what exactly happened, but, but we did make a change on that, you know? But no, again, though, but how, what, what change are you at? You want him to become a spread offense? Is that what you're saying? Oh, absolutely no. I mean, well, I mean, no, I, I don't think a spread, a spread is the answer, but. But less, you know, less predictable, you know. But that's who they are. I mean, that's and they were predictable in two thousand two. There were times where I knew they were going to hand the ball to Fred Russell. You knew they were going to, but they were good and they had good players, and they were explosive and they had a dual threat quarterback. To me, I mean, I I say it's more they got a more recruiting more than recruiting if systemic. you're going more recruiting than systemic, and if you want to keep. St- Playing this type of offense, you got to have maybe you have to have better players because something. I mean, the offensive line they can't run the ball, and Kirk wants to run the ball. That's Kirk's main priority. He wants to run the ball, and they can't run the ball. Well, then the offensive line has got to get better. Yeah. So. Well, you talked about how how predictable. Yes, we knew Fred Russell was going to get the ball in two thousand two, but we also had a much less predictable offense that mm-hmm. Brad Bates could take I, off. No, from. we didn't really. No, we really did. And we had receivers that could. 
that could separate. That's what I'm saying. Steve That's Jones what I'm. No the the offense was just as predictable it was back then. You better knew players. when Dallas Clark was going to go ten yards out and cut right, but there were just better players doing yeah. it, and the line could protect, and you had a quarterback who could run. And they don't. Have, I mean, Padilla is not Brad Banks. No. He's not Brad Banks in any way. Now, in fairness, Brad Banks also had a much better. My guess is Brad Banks would would have struggled with this team this year. I think uh, Tom Brady would struggle with this uh, offensive line this year. Yeah. So. um, Well, you know, and and maybe the changes isn't so much in being unpredictable, but in the 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 type of candidate we offered the quarterback position to. Well, then that that's recruiting. That falls back. But they seem pretty content. They like. I mean, Kirk loves Spencer Peters. Yes. I mean, and he, I think he is ideally what he wants. And I still say Spencer would be pretty good if he had a better supporting cast. I mean, if you would have put Spencer on that 2002 team, he wouldn't be Brad Banks. Don't get me wrong. No. But I think he would have been pretty good. Probably. All day to throw, wide, wide receivers, wide open, what yeah. have you. I, yes. But I just, I, 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 I don't know. I, I don't see things changing. I just think they need to be more aggressive and take more chances and not always play not to lose. And it seems like when that game was still within reach, the 14-3, to what have you, they, it just seems like they wanted that first half to end so bad without anything else bad happening so they could get in there and regroup and come out there and stay within striking didn't distance. work. And it just didn't work. When you say playing not to lose, was it Minnesota or Illinois? I can't remember where, how painful the last five minutes of that game was because we were dead set on winning by one point. I think that so. was – well, both really because both games were uh, – I think it was more Minnesota. I mean, um, that was the game where it wasn't Padilla 6 of 17 for 83 yeah. yards. And yeah. yeah, I think Minnesota, because frankly, and I don't want to piss off Iowa fans, I think Minnesota might be a better team than Iowa, fully healthy. And well, I, I don't disagree with and that. I, um, I think Iowa just has Minnesota's number. I, I can't figure out how Minnesota lost that game, to be frankly. To be they frank. had almost <laughs> 40 minutes of uh, – time of possession we had like 20 right yeah so yeah it was but Iowa figured out a way to do it but I think the offense is pretty much still the same and but no Don disagreed with me so maybe I'm wrong but I just don't see an offense that has evolved at all but Kirk probably counters that by saying well we're winning enough to where we don't really need to evolve but some fans will say well you're not winning enough to satisfy me I mean I and so, but yeah, this is, it's a, it's a very complicated situation right now. They've won 10 games, but you got a lot of pissed off fans. And they won their division and there are a fair amount of pissed off fans. Yeah. And I do think that has a lot to do with being in year 23. The people that are fatigued with Kirk Ferentz's uh, game plans and offensive philosophy, they're done. I mean, in the, Ten wins wasn't enough. Winning the division wasn't enough. And the enough. only way you're going to get those people back is if you do win the Big Ten title and make the playoff. And I mean, that they, he's been here so long to where the bar is so high on what is left to accomplish. And the division was the division thing was fine. Oh yeah. But you know, Wisconsin's won four divisions under um, on Paul, under Paul Chris. So I mean, I don't know. I just think when you go as long as Kirk has, I mean, Joe Paterno was under a lot of heat when they started mm-hmm. struggling because they weren't very good for stretches. But I just don't think at this stage Kirk's all of a sudden going to make wholesale changes on offense. But they, and if that's not the case, they apparently they need to recruit better players on offense. Yeah, I completely agree. All right, thank you. Yep. Thanks, Dave. 
But it's it is funny though when they win, the parents worshippers come out and tell the haters to shove it. You know, we're we're proud. We're this. We're that. We're Hawkeye football. We do it with class and integrity. And look at how many winning seasons. And then when they lose to a good opponent, then the haters come out and say, this is the same crap we've been watching. for. It's, it's just amazing how it goes back and forth. Well, the problem with the, the championship game was our defense wasn't particularly good. Our the offense second quarter, was, it was great. terrible. The defense was great in the second in quarter. In the second quarter. And it wore down. I mean, Torrey Taylor was great. People saying special teams were horrible. Torrey Taylor was Iowa's best player. I mean, he averaged 47 yards per punt and pinned him, what, three times within the 10? He did. And they couldn't do anything with it. Nope. Hello? Uh, hi, uh, morning, guys. Um, hi. I was just wondering. My main thing is the quarterback. Like, I get sick of watching these statues. I just, I was just wondering if you could remember how many times we like called a pass play and scrambled and ran for a first down this season. Well, you're not going to do that, that with Spencer Peters playing quarterback. Now, I will say, but think about it in Iowa's history. I mean, but can you remember one time? Yes, a yes. Couple he of had times. a Peters scored times. on a quarterback draw against yeah. Indiana, wasn't it? He yes. scored a touchdown. Uh-huh. No, it's happened a few times, but. Yeah, but how many times do you remember Chuck Long doing stuff like that? I was negative one. Uh, naked, naked boot, bootleg. One, to, yeah, against Michigan State. And what I'm, and I'm not comparing Petrus to Long, or, but the quarterbacks haven't changed that. I mean, Iowa has mostly had Matt Rogers could run a little bit, but most of Iowa's quarterbacks have uh-uh. not been elusive. No, they haven't. The problem is though right. they they were able to compensate for it with better. I don't know if you want to call it better play calling, better players, but to me it all starts on the offensive line. And right now the offensive line, despite Linderbaum's greatness, is below average, and it's a domino effect after that. Everything you can't run, immobile quarterback, receivers who struggle to get open, disaster. Yeah, I suppose so. I just, I would just like to see a little bit more mobility. I would too. Like I've written, we all would. I've written that column multiple times, but I don't want to just have them throw a mobile quarterback in there because he can run. If he can't throw, you're still going to have trouble. You got to find both, and right. it's not easy. Yeah. I mean, mo- there's the the Brad Banks has just aren't falling off every tree. I mean, they're they're hard to find, and yeah. Kirk did have a stretch I there. I, Go ahead. Sorry, but I, I just it seems like everybody can get these guys. Like they're small, like Troy, Louisiana. They all have somebody that can move, and, and I'm, not, I'm not saying they're, they're anything special, but they can just at least run, pick up. Well, I mean, Iowa got Iowa got Eric McCollum here. He could move, and it just didn't work out. I don't know if he yeah. didn't throw good enough. Kirk yeah. did try to go dual threat for a while. He and, really did. Deuce can move from what little we saw, yeah, not but a, he's just not, not a dual threat. Not Deuce, quite good enough. Deuce is maybe maybe as elusive yeah. as CJ, and CJ wasn't a dual threat. No, CJ could move. CJ could make plays with his legs, but Deuce was no way a dual threat quarterback. And and mm-hmm. now he's gone anyway. So and, yeah. So, right. but no, I appreciate your oh. appreciate your insight. Yeah. Yep. Go Hawks. Yep. Thanks for the call. And as far as Deuce, he made it. A, well, it was already he, out, he but he it, made yeah. it official yesterday. And obviously, he didn't mention the coaches, and he said unforeseen. It it looks uh, Kirk's statement, Kirk's quote probably did not help, and that was so out. That was so out of character for Kirk. I mean, it's one of the few times Kirk has really put his foot in his mouth. He really misstated what he meant to say. Well, uh, yeah. Well, if he had said, you know, almost all the coaches are not comfortable playing their third string, he just needed not to mention Deuce's name, Uh, of course. And then, but he did, and he blew it. And my guess is that expedited things. I think Deuce Deuce was leaving anyway. I mean, and I think if you're Deuce's parents when you saw that, they're probably like, get the hell out of there. Yeah. Get out of there. If he's not going to respect you that way, I just was disappointed. I, I was disappointed in Kirk on that one. Yep. Hello. Hello. Hey. You know, all these people um, complaining about Kurt and Brian, and they want to change and stuff. You know, 
they need to look back at what Nebraska did, fire a guy that was, you know, nine win seasons mm-hmm. and bring in a guy that can't win a can't, you know, have a winning season. Well, I don't think anyone's saying don't. Kirk should be fired. I haven't heard anyone oh, say I've, that. I've heard some I've, of that. I've, I've read, heard some I've of read that a lot on of my that media. On Twitter. A lot of it, because I'm on Twitter. Very serious. I've seen some, but I, I, I swear you find stuff that other people. I've, I've been all over Twitter, and most of it's been directed towards Brian. There's been a few towards Kirk, and what have you. But, but also though, people are tired of hearing "Be careful what you wish for," because yeah. I mean, I, I get what you're saying, but some people just don't want to hear that, and it, people don't want to hear oh, about yeah. what things were like in the '60s and '70s. They don't care. They don't care about that anymore. And, they but, don't, well, and a lot of them don't and I was remember. In the stands for the only eleven seasons, okay? <laughs> well, Amen, yeah, friends. But the twenty-five-year-old fan today doesn't care. They about don't care. That. Nope. They don't care. They don't want to hear about no. that. They don't care about that. But no, no. there's been a no. lot of we got most of the feedback I'm getting from people is this is a blatant case of nepotism. Brian needs to go. That's ninety nine percent of the That's most feedback. of it, but there's been. I have seen a lot of. Oh, uh, I've seen some. I've seen of, some, but I wouldn't say a lot. And I'm. I, I've got no. I'm way more active. But on you're Twitter. you're following more, you know, sports people. I don't go look. I'm, I think you go look for disrespect though, too, don't you? I am always looking for disrespect. But no, the the anti <laughs> finding it. The anti Kirk <laughs> narrative is out there, but it's nothing like the anti. No, it's I, not I, even close. I, yeah, I there's agree, not. I mean, you're never gonna fire a coach for going. For winning ten games at Iowa, that's no, just asinine. and you shouldn't. But I'm just saying, there's programs that will fire an offensive coordinator after ten win season if they believe the offense is what prevented them from going to the next level. There's some teams that will do that. Iowa's not going to do that because Iowa's very loyal to its workers and it's Kirk's son. I keep saying that over and uh-huh. over. People had to realize this could happen when when Kirk hired his son and brought him onto the staff. People, if, if you didn't realize this could potentially happen, then that's shame on you for being naive. This was the awkwardness. When you hire your son in this type of situation and he makes the kind of money he does, it's an awkward situation when it, things it don't is. go right. And Agreed. That's Agreed. where we're at right now. But you know, I'm I'm happy with ten and three. I wish they were you know, their performance Saturday was terrible. But it's one game, you move on. Well, you yeah, know. you gotta move yeah. on. The okay. problem with the ten and three is how the three losses unfolded. I mean, they yeah. just weren't even competitive. No, they weren't. They just no. weren't even they didn't no. fire a shot. That's the problem, and it was mostly on yeah, offense. that is the problem. I mean, the defense yeah. wore down Saturday. Yeah. They were just gassed. I mean, oh. they did as much as they yeah. could for about two and a half quarters, but when the offense just doing nothing, they finally just broke down. Oh, you can't have them on the field as much as what they were on no, the field. No, you can't. I mean, they just eventually they wear down. Yeah, yeah. So. and I don't care what program you're at. That's what happens. And if they stuff, end up winning you know. the bowl game, and I don't care if they win it 10 to 6 and the offense sucks, the Ferentz – Supporters and apologists are going to come out and say eleven wins. All you haters, shut up! You know, you go look at Illinois. And go they lo- won't. And the haters won't care. And the go haters, look at Illinois. Go look at Indiana. And the haters won't care. Go look at Nebraska. You, you've got this division right yeah. now with Iowa football, and I think it's partly due to being twenty-three years into a coaching. For game. sure. I think this is a very. Yeah. I had a guy telling me last night on Twitter they got to make changes. You know, and I said to him, I'm like, they're not. This is a unique situation at Iowa. The longest tenured head coach who's the fourth all-time win in his coach in Big Ten history, who has his son as his offensive coordinator. No other place in the country is like Iowa. There's nothing else like that. No. So what is going on in another program and what works for them, you can't use that at Iowa because the circumstance is so different. And Gary Barta has 
kind of allowed this to indeed in, i mean he I mean, he could have said not nah, kirk i don't think it's right bringing your son back but he didn't he's allowed this to be where it is and i'm not saying it's wrong because he it wanted is what it kirk is. to be his guy but it is where it is it, it is what it is and it's not going to change this is a very unique dynamic at iowa and no doubt well, we're gonna wrap this yeah up. i gotta run i gotta go um take the rental car back okay all right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Go Hawks tonight. Beat the Illini. HawkFanatic.com. Check it out. It is free.